Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to Thursday. Welcome back from the Merry Christmas holidays. It was we say Merry Christmas around here, but welcome back. So sorry about this morning. I was dead tired. We had a marathon episode with Shadow Davis yesterday. So if you haven't seen that one yet, go and check it out. It was a really good episode. Almost everybody was there. Almost everybody. If Andy Lee was on, that would have been about everybody. But it was a really good episode. Go check it out on Shadow Davis's uh, Rumble page. You can also find it on my Facebook and my X as well, because I did restream it. It was really fun. It was a good episode because what he ended up doing was having a whole bunch of independent journalists come on. And... And we're back. We get one of those each show now. I just got to remember to play with my network cable before each show. Uh, yeah, so tomorrow afternoon, the 4 p.m. Mountains, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern, we'll be doing a similar show where we're going to have a lot of guests from 2023 come on and uh, share with us uh, their journey and then what they anticipate for 2024. I don't know if it will be as large with uh, as many people on the screen because that was a lot of people. Uh, but we'll definitely have a lot of people throughout the episode. Pop on 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, and then pop off. So do make sure you set your calendar for that one. It should be good. And we've already lined up some music. So Zahayna is going to play uh, for us. And uh, Ruth is also going to come back and play some music for us. So that'll be exciting. And maybe another one or two. I'm still reaching out to a few of our guests from the year and to see if they're available. It's a tough time of the year because it's a Friday right before the New Year. So a lot of people do have plans already. But we'll do our best to get quite a few of our guests on. I know Shadow plans to make it. So that'll be good as well. Uh, today, we're having an excellent episode. I've been waiting for this one for a while. Ever since Adam Scully came on the episode for uh, Great Canadian Relay and only I only had 20 minutes with him at that time, I definitely wanted a lot more time with him. I wanted to hear about his journey to Alberta, how he's setting things up, get into the details of what happened to him in Toronto, like really get into the details to find out, you know, how did the court go? How did the matter end up? Where are they at now? And get into his fundraising because he absolutely needs to raise funds to continue his journey. And I also have Chris Scott on from uh, the Wissop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. Similar story, except he also went to jail. All right, so we're going to be getting into Chris' story. He was on yesterday for the the uh, Shadow Davis episode and absolutely felt his frustration, felt his frustration. And you're going to get into that now because he's still really mad about what happened to him and about what it's going to take to make things right. And I think his frustration that Canadians aren't mad with him is valid. It's very valid. This is going to be part of the reason why uh, accountability seems to be a little bit difficult for us. So we'll get into that with Chris as well. And I also invited Donald over because Donald has done a great job on continuously repeating the story for Adam. Uh, almost every third or fourth episode, we will hear about it because it's a very pivotal moment in uh, police uh, autonomy and in policing in Toronto or Canada. Uh, I'm sure they didn't want to, they were made to, contracted to, there was some background to what went on there, but the Toronto Mounted Police were there, I think 250 officers, like, wow, it's like insane what they actually did, so Donald's going to kind of break down how disappointing that was to see, and really the rule of law is kind of gone, and I, that was a 
the demonstration of that. So Donald brings that up quite often when we're talking about how police officers are not following the rule of law. Uh, they're just taking orders, you know, things along those lines. So Adamson barbecue was one of those moments where we're embarrassed as Canadians. It's going to be a stain in our history, but let's not forget about it because it was a moment where we got to understand whether or not we had police officers or paramilitary. I think Donald has his opinion on that one. So let's go ahead and bring him in. I see Adam and Chris is here as well. So we'll bring him in right away. We're not going to waste too much time here, but hello, Donald. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Happy Christmas. New Year. Merry Christmas. Looking forward to next year. It's going to be a tough one. But, you know, I think we just might be able to gain some ground. The good guys. <laughs> and that would girls. Be a, the good girls, too. Yeah. Sure. That would be a good outcome. But there's a lot of predictions from last year. I'm not sure. Or the last four next year from the last episode with Shadow. It's dark. People are not expecting 2024 to be full of lollipops and butterflies. They're expecting it to be a very tough year. What are your thoughts? It is going to be a tough year. And we're going to see some things that people, even of my generation, have never seen before. We're seeing it now. We've been starting to see it for a long time. No industry, no manufacturing, homelessness, police brutality, police as... Uh, Police says uh, oversight, managers, uh, thugs. Sorry to use those words. I just watched a lot of video yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I watched videos again of uh, our police, our Canadian police, handcuffing pregnant women behind their backs. You just don't do that. Thugs do that. Yeah. You know, you, so there we go. So, yeah, I see some dark times economically and everything. But I'm really pumped because I think a lot of people have just had enough lives. They don't believe anything anymore, and that's dangerous too because we've lost faith in our institutions. But we're going to take things back locally. We're going to work together. We're going to establish the social and economic networks locally that we need. It's already happening. And we're going to keep working to get the truth out. And that's why I'm so happy to see Adam and Chris on tonight, because this is a big truth, needs to get out there. We can't expect the media to help us at all. So let's do For it. Sure. Right on, brother. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with the Adam video that we've been playing uh, for the last little bit. It's his promo. It, it kind of breaks down what's happened, lets us know what's going on, and then we'll bring him right on. One moment. Enough is enough. I complied with the two weeks to flatten the curve. I complied again during the second wave when we locked down, when Doug Ford promised us that there would be supporting evidence to shut down the restaurants, bars, and gyms. He didn't provide it. We got something a little bit later talking about outbreaks. But the data from Toronto Public Health that came out two weeks ago show that two, that's right, Two of the over 10,000 Ontario COVID deaths were linked to bars, restaurants, and retails. So why are we getting singled out and the big multinational corporations are all essential while they're packed? Come on, guys. Enough is enough. We're opening for anybody who's a fan of freedom and sovereignty. 
Well, they have to follow the rules. There, there can't be rules for one group and, and not the other. When you have the Walmarts and the Costcos of the world open, but all these little businesses shut down. I cannot stand thinking all the big stores are open, no problem, and then killing these little people. It's just not right. It's not right before God. What it says to me is that this virus, it isn't as dire as what they're making it out to be. They are setting a bunch of rules for us to follow, but they're the insiders, they have all the information, and obviously they don't feel it's as deadly as what's being depicted. I, I just wish that they'd just follow the rules. And it sure isn't my job, as a guy who cooks brisket, to uh, enforce government regulations. Yes, this is the Reopen Ontario Act, right, that I was charged under? Yeah. I will be back here as long as we can have some more support. I will be back here again tomorrow to open. But we give the order for Medical House Health to shut down permanently, and he just defiantly dis disobeys it, then we have to throw the book at him, right? We have to. A lot of people are watching what's happening here. We have to. A lot of people are watching what's happening here. The government is betting on uh, ignorance and intimidation, and they're going to lose. Because when when you come to the point where you have nothing to lose, you're going to do whatever it takes. Good evening. It was another chaotic day at Adamson Barbecue in Etobicoke. This is the third day the owner, Adam Skelly, vowed to defy lockdown orders and open for indoor dining. But today, police changed the locks on him before he could enter. And during the lunch hour, he was arrested. Shame on these police. Shame on these police. Look at what they've started now. got the police blocking both sides of the entrances to the building. They've shut it down. They tried to lock it this morning. It got opened up, but they're back here to stop everything. They're handing out fines down the street for all the all the people that have parked down the street. They're, they're handing out tickets. Things are very loud. We're going to see what people have to say. Are you fearful of what's going to happen in the minutes and hours ahead uh, if you start to fire up those grills? No, not at all. Why would I be fearful of what's going to happen? This business probably won't make it through the winter time anyway, so I, I got nothing to fear. We're going to take a stand. We're going to push this as far as it goes. We'll accept the fines. We'll accept the tickets and any court summons. Uh, and we'll see if any of this is going to hold up. to interview lawyers today. I've had so many reach out to me and offer to take this case. Uh, they're, most of them are very, all of them are confident that we will win this, that the, uh, the emergency orders are not justified and that any of these charges won't hold up in court anyway. So I'll be the first one to stand up, be the test case, and we'll see how it goes. When everybody stands up and says enough is enough, that's when we're going to see this end. What does it feel like to put defiance on the menu? Feels fucking amazing, bro.
That is awesome. There's Adam, the man right there. How are you doing, Adam? Nice to see you. Holy beard. <laughs> nice beard. Yeah. You. Hey, Chris, where's your beard? <laughs> what do you mean? It's right here. Oh, it's coming in. It's coming in. It's like Homer's beard. Nice to see everybody. Thank you all for making it. Adam, that video gets me really pumped. Uh, if, I will, if I had a gym nearby, that's what I'd be listening to right before I go to it. That's exciting. <laughs> My only question for you, Adam, is why didn't you just follow the rules like Doug Ford said? Well, that was uh, <laughs> leading my business to a certain destruction, man. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Now, this was November 2020, right? So this is a couple of years ago this all started? Yeah, that's right. Over three years now. Can you give everybody the Coles Notes version of it? Um, yeah, just of like of that protest and the outcome of it. Is that what you mean? Yes, please. We opened up, uh, I think the first day was... November 24th, I got uh, just a couple minor licensing tickets. They, they asked me nicely to close. On the second day, they charged me under the Reopening Ontario Act. Uh, and I oh, and I got some public health closure notices uh, that didn't do much. It's like a placard that they put on the window of the restaurant, uh, marking the restaurant as closed. I just opened it anyway. I still had the keys at that point. When I vowed to open again for the third day, uh, like that city councilor said in that video, there was a lot of eyes on this, and they had no choice but to to, to shut that down, right, in full defiance mm -hmm. of the law. Uh, they used some very interesting interpretations of the Trespass to Property Act to escalate those charges from provincial to federal, uh, allowing them to invoke the criminal code. And I got arrested that third day for trespassing on my own property. Because I leaned a villa, uh, seized the building under a provincial statute, she then claimed to have control over who could enter and exit the building under a oh. federal statute, the Trespass to Property Act. So I didn't believe that I was going to get arrested for anything because there was nothing in the provincial legislation uh, that allowed for somebody to be arrested. But because of this uh, wordplay, I suppose, uh, they invoked the the trespass to property act and they arrested me for trespassing on my own property. So that day they seized the front unit. That building was split into two because it wasn't big enough or sorry, it was too big to meet the zoning regulations in that, in that area for the size of the, of the building. So we split it into two. The back was just like a storage unit. We were welding smokers back there. Uh, so they only seized the front. So that day they didn't realize, but I could still access the back unit and uh, a nice young woman showed up that day and she, she helped cut a hole in one side of the drywall. We left the other side open. She like pre-scored it. And then at 11 o'clock when it was time to open the restaurant, we booted that in uh, and just, you know, entered in through this adjacent unit, bringing all these people through the back. There was a big scuffle there with the police. They tried to block people from coming in. They got pushed out of the way. And uh, a cop came in there and arrested me and dragged me out for obstructing his investigation, I suppose. I spent two days in jail. While I was in there, a GoFundMe was started for my legal fees, uh, and I got out. It was like the tune of three hundred and something thousand dollars. Uh, it only took about a year to blow that on lawyers mounting this constitutional question that was in response to the Reopening Ontario Act. We hired, uh, well, hired some. Some donated their time. There was six PhD experts opining on everything to do with uh, the lockdowns the and the pcr test the whole pandemic we were trying to expose the whole thing get to the root of the issue 
the PCR tests weren't effective. Uh, the, neither were the lockdowns, neither were the masks. There was never any cost-benefit analysis done. And a huge one is the, uh, the alternative treatments or what they call in law the reasonable alternatives. So we brought the evidence forward for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Hydro, hydrochloroquine? Anyway, forgive me. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, to show that basically there's no premise for the entire lockdown. We had a, this cost like 150,000 bucks. We went back and forth with the crown, submitted our evidence. They cross-examined our experts. We cross-examined theirs. We got to the trial. People couldn't even get on this hearing on Zoom. It was limited to 500 people. And the judge, I think, and the crown prosecutor couldn't get on. They had to kick people off of this thing. And with <laughs> three minutes of it starting, after they kicked off some of the guests, the judge declined to uh, proceed for lack of jurisdiction said because my lawyer didn't file a notice of application he filed this notice of constitutional question in response to an injunctive order that was issued closing down my restaurant so the whole thing was squashed there on site there was thirty thousand dollars in cost orders uh, that we had to pay that took like almost a year to raise up that 30 grand we rescheduled a new date for this constitutional question. This was a few months ago. It was scheduled for October of 2024, over a year from when we paid those cost orders. Then the Crown submitted a motion for security for costs right. saying that right. because we're suing them, uh, we need to pay their costs in advance. They argued that there's a good chance that uh, our case won't fail based on other cases, charter cases failing across Canada related to COVID. Uh, and they succeeded. They got this order for $32,000 that we have to pay by mid-January if we want to keep these hearing dates for October. So there's the, the Coles notes. That's where we're at now with the constitutional question. I also still face uh, three or four criminal charges, but those are being stayed pending the results of the constitutional question. The Crown says they won't proceed on those uh, if we find a, a charter violation. I also right. face a... $87,000 lawsuit from the city. You saw the video of all the cops around the restaurant. Uh, they're suing me to recoup the cost of policing that day because all those cops were hired that day as private security from Toronto Public Health. And then I also faced about $150,000 in charges relating to the licenses that I didn't have at my restaurant. So there's like four cases ongoing. Most of them, we're going to hear it all after this constitutional challenge is either heard or or the hearing dates are vacated. Okay, well, at first, I'm sorry, Adam, that you went through all of that. How are you doing with the fundraising, the 32,000 you need by mid-January? How are you doing on that? I think we got I think we got 10,000 raised. Okay, and this the, the video I just played there is for this New Year's coming up on Sunday. Um, more tickets available, people can still get tickets for that? Uh, <laughs> this is embarrassing. I, I'm not... <laughs> holding that fundraiser that's a group called concerned constituents of canada it said on that flyer there uh the tickets were available until the 17th or something i honestly i don't know how many have been sold i'm not on the board at ccoc they're basically they've got carriage of this case now uh, and they're doing all the fundraising for it so uh, you'd have to talk to concerned constituents of canada to see if any of those tickets are still available i don't know if there's much of an ontario audience here but that's specifically for that new year's eve party that they're throwing Okay, for sure. And yeah, there's a large Ontario audience here, so that'll be good. And cccan.org, I believe, is where you can go check it out. Uh, let me just get my setting here for my audio. Okay, they're pageants. What I got for you. Okay, so 
Okay, I'm just going to move to Chris now. Chris, did you get goosebumps? Did you hear some stuff that you heard before as well, like for you? Uh, you didn't have to tunnel through your back uh, office to the front like uh, Adam did here, but you had something similar. You were shut down. You want to give the Coles Notes version to people, please? Well, your first question, did it give me goosebumps? Uh, no, but like thinking about some of those things and what's occurred... Um, and not being able to seek a remedy when these things happen. Like, think about the costs that Adam's had to pay for these things. And without crowdfunding, it's not going to happen. So if something like that happens to any one of us in this country, our remedy is uh, only available if we have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in our constitutional rights. That's what I was standing on when I did my thing. And, you know, I, I realized that, our constitution is only good as, as good as the interpretation of it in court and the ability of those fighting for their rights to fund it. Right. So uh, I guess I'll lead with that. Um, so I, I, I kind of, it, it makes me like vibrating mad thinking about how this stuff has happened. So uh, with my uh, little adventure here, it started because of Adam. I don't know if mm. you know this or many people know, but, I watched Adam do what he did. I watched those videos of him and his, you know, that little bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm crazy government. Just watch what I'm going to do. I'm standing up for myself. That little smile he did when he was getting hauled away. Mm -hmm. I watched that and I was like, man, this guy is my hero because he's not like, this isn't a guy trying to fight for his rights or whatever by getting a politician to help him or by getting a lawyer to help him. Like he's frigging doing it. And he is, you know, unashamed and un, unafraid he's he's being the sovereign individual that we're all meant to be and this is what we have to do and uh it was a couple more months i guess that was in in november right adam that's right chris yeah so it was a couple a couple months um we were in november i think we were open here in alberta jason kenny did this big apology saying hey we're sorry that we decided what businesses live and which ones die you know you're all essential. We'll never do this to you again. And I was like, huh, awesome. You know, right on. All, all we had to do is just push a little bit and our politicians will save us. Well, not even two weeks later, you might remember this. Uh, on he, he, he comes on Facebook Live again and says, yeah, sorry, guys, but we're going to have to lock you down again. But don't worry. It's only for a month. And like Adam, I had complied with all the BS up, up until I opened against the restrictions. I had the bulletproof shower curtains between uh, tables. We wore those stupid masks uh, when people were looking. We had so much hand sanitizer flying around there. I'm, I'm sure we were drunk all day because we were absorbing all that alcohol through our skin. We did all those things. We followed the distancing, the capacity reductions, the closures. Um, and, you know, we grumbled about it, but we just did it because that's what you do, right? You just go along to get along. And then I saw Adam do his thing and Jason Kenny flip-flopped on his stuff, and, and in I think it was December 9th or 11th, I, I said to myself, I talk to myself a lot, uh, mm -hmm. if they don't open in 30 days, I'm going to open. Because at that point, my bank account was empty, um, the business was struggling, you know, winter's always tough at, at this the place that I operate, the little stop cafe, just the nature of the beast there. And I said, if they, if they don't do what they said they're going to do, I'm going to open. So the 30 days came and went, and Dina Henshaw came on the it was always Facebook Live I saw. She went on Facebook Live and she said, 
yeah, sorry, but uh, hospitals still have people in them. Uh, ICUs are at capacity, uh, and we're going to have to take another week just to see how things go. And by this point, I had realized that all of these things that they were telling us to do were completely ridiculous. I realized, uh, after looking into it a little bit, that ICUs are always supposed to operate at 100% capacity because that's the most efficient place to be. If you're if you have extra beds, they take them from ICU, they use them for other things. If you need more ICU beds, they take them from somewhere else and they use them. And so they try and stay at 100%. So I started seeing the, this information that they were presenting us uh, was designed. It was like some sort of tomfoolery, rich, tomfoolery witchcraft to make us scared and comply. So Dina Hinshaw comes on the, the news and she says, yeah, we need another week. And I had a chat with my staff and I had a chat with my sister who was helping me run the, run the restaurant. And I said, we can't do this anymore. I got to open. I, I got to do it. And they were 100% behind me. But I chickened out because most of us are cowards until we're back into a corner, right? And I said, well, let's just give it the week. Well, the week came and went. Dina Hinshaw comes back on the news and she says, yeah, sorry, folks, but uh, there's still people in the hospitals. We don't know when this is going to end. You're just going to have to be patient. And I said, F this, like there is patience and then there's lunacy and I am not participating in this lunacy any longer. And I talked to my staff at this point, I, I was so far upside down with the business. I had to ask my staff to work for free. I said, I want to open. I can't pay you. Will you work for free for a couple of weeks so we can do this? And they said, yeah, absolutely. Because they want to take a stand too. So we opened and it was scary as hell. Um, within a day, I was getting phone calls from my my health inspector, and the phone call wasn't nasty. It was like, "Hey, we heard a rumor that you're open against restriction, and if you're doing that, you know, good for you for taking a stand for yourself. But if we don't see it, it didn't happen. So if we show mm -hmm. up tomorrow and you are don't have dining services, well, you know, that's totally fine, and we'll just move on with everything." And I said. I'm happy to have you stop by tomorrow to dine in at my cafe, I said to my health inspector. <laughs> so they showed up, they started writing their little things on paper, which is what they do. I got so many sheets of paper. Some of them said I was male. Some of them said I was female. Obviously some police were kind of uh, appreciative of what I was doing and they just didn't stop. And uh, I didn't stop either. They repeatedly said, hey, you, go, you have to do this. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm, you know, this is a free country. I have a right to earn an income. You guys haven't demonstrably justified the what you're doing, infringing on my rights. You, you haven't proven uh, that it's demonstrably justified. I'm not closing until you do this. And, you know, the, the province went crazy. We had already been primed by watching men like Adam stand up for themselves. And now I did. And all of a sudden, Alberta just exploded with rebellion. It was, it, we called it the great burger rebellion. That's what was happening here. And other businesses started to do the same thing to the point where our government was like, oh crap, this is out of control. We can't manage this. Let's just open the restaurants again so that we don't have to deal with it. And they did. Um, now there's more to the story because the restaurants were only open for uh, a few weeks before they shut them down again. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you chime in there with any questions you have, I guess. Okay, well, first, Chris, I want to tell you what a lot of the chat is saying. You're also a hero. Uh, a lot of people look up to you here in Alberta and across Canada for what you did as well. Yes, Adam started it, but you also continued it and, and stood strong as well. So both of you, thank you both for doing what you did. Donald, can I'm going to throw it to you. 
I, sure I have an objection. I, I didn't start it in the same way that Chris was inspired by my actions. Uh, I was inspired by Ian Smith with his gym in New Jersey. I just like to make that clear. Right. Uh, that, I, that wasn't me who started it. Maybe I did it in Canada first. Okay, well, Canada, thank you very much for, for inspiring us uh, there. And then, Donald, you were kind of mentioning here that these are the two guys who did the right thing. And if more of them did, then uh, we may not be in the situation we are. And then, Chris, got your hat on, bud. Love the show. Nice hat. <laughs> I like hey, it. Hey, you know what? Uh, Those hats are available at com. They are, chriscarryshow.com, and they're also at the Bible and Bowls. So if you have another event, uh, you can pick up one there uh, next year. Do you have another event coming up? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay, so Donald, you're saying there's a magic number, like 10%. If 10% stood up, we would be in different positions. Really, think about it. Think about it. Uh, all of us, at a certain point, we were like sheep. I did the mask. I did the glove things. I brought the groceries home from the store and sprayed it with Windex. I don't know. No, we all did that for about a week or two weeks, I guess. And then I started really looking into it. And I came to the same conclusions, but everybody complied. They kept on complying. And it was the compliance that gave the tyrants the go-ahead to do more. And boy, did they ever. So, you know, thanks, guys, for standing up. And I, I just think that if more of us across Canada had had stood up in wherever we were that they couldn't have done this. Now, what'll happen this time if they try again? I'm not so sure they would be successful and they're not so sure either. One thing I, I want to mention about Adam's situation that uh, never before have I seen police hired by a city agency to enforce a law it's always been done with the police, just the city supplying the police. And Adam, that sounds like a setup to me. It sounds like they knew what they were going to do, that they were going to sue you for the, for the police necessary to, to arrest you and, and close down your business. And it's just not done the way it was done. I've never seen that been done before like that. I believe that it was done so that they could impose those hundreds of thousands of dollars upon you. Uh, I, that's, that's my point. I don't know if you agree with me or anyone else will, but I've just never seen that before. Well, I would, I, I, it's kind of interesting how in the health regulation, it's called the HPPA in Ontario. It gives the ability for that health officer, in this case, it was that Eileen Davila woman, uh, it, it gives her the ability to seek a court order to seize a restaurant or um, any licensed food establishment, anything under her jurisdiction. She didn't do that. She invoked the, the Federal Trespass to Property Act with this, like, just this play on words. And maybe, you know, it's that the whoever was in charge of the police, they said, no, this, like, this isn't a valid seizure. Like, if they looked at that in law, it doesn't look good. Anybody who's curious about that, it's actually really fascinating with, with what happened. Ezra Levant did a tweet about it right after the protest at the end of November, November 28th, maybe, uh, talking about what happened there in law. It makes no sense how they seized that building. So it wouldn't make sense for the police to carry, or the Toronto Police Service to carry the liability for enforcing that. 
So instead they were hired as private security. And then maybe they say, okay, fine. You know, cause the liability then remains on the health department and Eileen Davila. Interesting. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't buy the legitimacy of that. I personally have shut a restaurant down working with Toronto health. When I was a, a uniformed officer, we had a restaurant that had continually failed. Uh, I think it was known as the Cockroach Haven or something. It was in Chinatown. It had continually failed. And so they were shutting it down. And, and we were assigned, uh, part of the 52 Division Area Foot Patrol, at that time uniformed officers, to go along just to keep the peace. And that's what we did. They weren't charged for that. The health department didn't hire us. They we probably closed down when they placarded them, though. They probably didn't push past days after they had been placarded closed. Well, no, that, that, that's true. <laughs> Not to my knowledge, anyway. But at the same time, um, I have never heard... Well, let me think. No, I just don't know of another government agency, especially municipal, from the same uh, city hiring their own police force, hiring their own police personnel. Never heard of it before. I don't know if anyone can give me another instance of this anywhere across Canada. How about it? Uh, anybody in law enforcement or uh, Crown attorneys out there? Because I, I've just never heard of this before in history. So you believe that that was strategic to create a large bill, first shut him down, but also create a large bill that he's going to be stuck with? So you think it's more strategic? I, I, I believe so. Um, I just absolutely believe so. As far as the police liability, look, uh, I've been hired lots by construction companies and, and uh, concerts. Uh, I think I saw every concert at Maple Leaf Garden for about five years. And you still have your police liability. So I don't believe that hiring, uh, hiring police externally removes liability from the police. It there's all sorts of case law to say it doesn't. We are on-duty police officers with all the authority that we, that we have. The fact that we're being paid to guard a construction site or direct traffic at some uh, road construction makes no mind. Uh, that's just the way it is. So well, that's a big difference, though. There's a big difference between guarding a construction site and uh, removing a person's right to protest. Right. These are very, very. Oh, oh, absolutely. But what I'm saying is uh, no matter what the police officer is doing, who pays them doesn't matter at all from the standpoint of the police officers, uh, the rights and privileges and authorizations and authority that that police officer has, the, that they have to obey their, the rule of law and the oath and the Constitution and our Charter of Rights, none of that changes. And I'm just saying that I have personally uh, been assigned on duty without Toronto help paying anyone to come and, and do the police duties in association with the municipality and the Toronto health. Well, maybe it was just a way to stick you with the bill, Adam. Hey, really, it would be a great strategy, but I, 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 uh, I don't see it as being legitimate. But well, yeah, yeah. You know, that, they never did that to me. So my, I don't know if you you saw the 
protest at the Worcester Stop Cafe, but there's a couple thousand people there. There was probably 40 police officers. There was two drones. There were uh, six buses parked up the road in Bashaw waiting to haul people away. They, they said afterwards they had the capacity to arrest and detain 2,000 people. That's wow. how much manpower they sent to a cafe with a seat, seating capacity of 32 because I was holding a protest. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize that part. So they were prepared to lock up 2,000 people or at least ship and move 2,000 people. You have a capacity of 32 or 32. I was about to say 3,200. 32. It's not a very large cafe. And uh, can you tell us about your arrest? Uh, I know that Adam did two days in jail, but can you tell us about your arrest? Uh, My arrest was, was pretty boring, but let me just talk about that ability to arrest people. If anybody believes for one minute that the RCMP and the government aren't smart enough to plan to deal with any crowd control issues they need to. Maybe they'll take three weeks like what happened in Ottawa. But, you know, we we have this idea, oh, we bring enough people and we held a big enough protest. They can't arrest us all. They can and they will arrest us all eventually Mm -hmm. if it goes that far. I mean, look at look at my case there. They didn't in that in that uh, circumstance. I think they just gave out a few tickets. Adam actually got a ticket there as well. Because uh, he was uh, ser- serving brisket of all things, like the, the you got a ticket at your establishment. Yeah, serving delicious brisket. You only need one more province, or Adam, and you got the hat trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, they they do have the capacity to do that. So protesting is one thing. It's good to raise awareness and and push back. And sometimes we have to get arrested, which is fine. If I have to get arrested because I'm doing what I think is or know is right. I'll get arrested. I don't have a problem with that. And if you don't believe me, um, just, you know, try and harm one of my children and you'll find out very fast. Right. So anyway, uh, at my protest, I had developed a good rapport with the chief of police in Bashaw. His name was Sergeant Bruce Holiday, And I actually I had a lot of respect for him. I considered him a friend throughout all this, even though he was assisting AHS enforcing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to, to, have to say this, but he he actually took his own life in January. He's, oh, he's no longer with us, and uh, that's. I'll talk a little bit about about that later. But uh, that was a really sad thing. And I, anyway, um, I had a conversation with Bruce the the day before the Saturday that I was arrested, so Friday, I guess. And I said to him, as we saw these, or no, no, it was Saturday morning. The place is filling up with people, and we had all had enough at this point. I mean, we went along to get along. And then after a year of restrictions, people were ready to rock, right? Like we were done with it. And Mm -hmm. I understood how volatile a situation like that could become because these police were going to enforce the the health orders that were now they've been proven that they were illegal, but we knew that they were wrong at, at that time. So I said to him, hey, if you have to arrest me, phone me. Tell me to meet you on the edge of the property or something, and I'll come over there and I'll sur- I'll surrender because I don't want anything to explode. Now, uh, because I did that, of course, there's people that say, "Oh, this was all set up. Chris planned to get arrested." Blah blah blah. That's not it at all. I knew the consequences of my actions was going to be that I was arrested because there was a injunction uh, that all- was also done wrong, done by Associate Chief Justice John Rook that said. It was actually written to every man, woman, and child in Alberta. I was named, Glenn Carrot was named, there's a few other named, uh, the Whistle Stop 2012, the old Whistle Stop, which I had nothing to do with, was named. And it basically said, 
that uh, any person, any man, woman, John, Jane, Doe, whatever in Alberta may not attend, promote, incite, or organize any illegal gatherings. So I was served with that a few days before the protest. And because I saw it, now I was compelled to follow that injunction that, that Rook wrote. So uh, when I when I held my protest, um, I knew that they were going to say that it was a legal gathering, even though I say to this day it was not an illegal gathering because that I have a constitutional right to protest. Right. Um, so I knew I was going to get arrested. And I wanted to make sure that the situation didn't blow up into something that would harm the, the, the freedom movement. So uh, Bruce did end up phoning towards the end of the day on Saturday. And he said, hey, uh, can you, you mind just coming over here? I got to talk to you for a second. I said, all right, just let me make my phone calls. I'll be right over. And I did. I phoned my uh, my lawyer and I phoned. Uh, I let Jessica know that I was about to be arrested. I walked over to Bruce's uh, patrol car and and surrendered, and I went to, went to jail. Now, you know, I I only went to jail for three days, and I am extremely embarrassed to tell you that I followed the advice of my lawyer on day three. Now they kept me in the drunk tank, by the way, for three oh, days. So concrete room, lights on all the time, you know, crapping on a toilet that also has your watering sink on top of it uh, they didn't move me to remand or anything i didn't have a change of clothes no toothbrush i had the same contacts in for three days like it was it sucked but people have endured worse anyway on the advice of my lawyer i signed bail conditions that said that i would I, and i said that i would be a good little boy a good little subject and citizen and follow the provincial cmoh orders if if they were so kind to let me out of jail um, because I committed the crime of protesting. And looking back on it, I am so mad at myself for signing those bail conditions. I'm, it's embarrassing. I wish I never did it. I should have just stayed in jail. Pastor Art Pulowski, he wouldn't sign that crap. Uh, Timothy Stevens, he wouldn't sign that garbage. Pastor Coates, they wouldn't sign that. And I, I should have done the same. But anyway, my lawyer said, oh, you're better out of jail. We're going to do more things. So just sign it, whatever. And to be fair, my bail conditions, uh, one of them was uh, I ended up with a compelled speech portion of my sentence, and, and that was fun to deal with. But, uh, you know, the, the real jail sentence is this prison that we find ourselves in, wherein when the government does something like this to take away our rights, our only option, if we're not going to be violent, is to submit to tyranny allow ourselves to suffer the consequences of our actions, which is standing up for our rights, and then somehow try and navigate the judiciary to try and prove our innocence and, and maybe get a monetary remedy from the government. I mean, I, I've lost my net worth over this. People think I got rich. That's certainly not the case. Um, and, and that's the real prison, that, that we don't have a mechanism by which we can stand up for ourselves, except through the courts that just happen to have judges appointed by the very people who are taking away our rights. It's a it's a horrible situation that we're in. And, uh, you know, I don't know if... Uh, I still find a little bit of value in the courts. I do. Because I know that sometimes we can slug our way through there and we can make some changes and, and we can better the world and, and get ourselves a, a remedy. 
But I think the reality is it's it's not about the courts. It's just about sometimes being the the sovereign man or woman who we are at birth. You know, the government doesn't give us these rights. We already have them. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes if we're going to live that way, if we're going to have uh, have our human rights, there's going to be times where we suffer a consequence and it's not a just consequence, but that's just what happens. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to do that again, I guess. Hey brother, please don't beat yourself up for doing the bail conditions. It's a very difficult decision. It's hard to say which way it could have gone either way. And uh, yeah, you've done well. So yeah, hopefully you can move on from that one. Adam, so you were arrested, you were in jail for a couple of days, same type of thing. Did you have bail conditions as well? What was your release like? Yeah, that's right. Hey, I'll just uh, let you know, I have like five or seven more minutes here. Fortunately, my okay. wife was sick, so I've had to take my children out to some activities and I got to pick them up in five minutes here. But, uh, we'll, we'll stick with you yeah, until yeah. you go. Sounds good. I, I signed the bail conditions in the same way, you know, after that 48 hours in there, you're not sleeping and they're feeding you slop and it's you know, you, you, your head's not right after that point you're you've been kidnapped and held against your will it's 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 essentially torture by any definition right it's insane um so i signed the bail conditions mine were the same uh not quite con- compelled speech but i was uh i was restricted from uh, posting or communicating anything on social media i was banned from going within 300 meters of each of my three restaurants which just made the whole thing collapse. There was months I couldn't go. I couldn't bring morale back up with my staff. I couldn't serve our new customers. We lost 90% of our existing customer base. All the new people that came in were met by my, you know, liberal young staff still wearing masks, still complying with everything. So they're like, what am I doing here? Like, this isn't the experience I came for. Um, and I, I couldn't uh, violate the reopening Ontario again, act again, or else it would be a, um, Again, same thing, a federal uh, criminal. Word yeah, it's criminal, right? Violating the court order, uh, mm-hmm. which would just land right back in jail. So there's no sense in protesting. It was like, I'm at the end of the rope. It's all that it leads to. If I say I'm opening, boom, in jail immediately. They have full grounds to do that. So, uh, yeah, I signed the orders, and that led to the demise of my business over the next year, which just fizzled away. Chris was saying something there about. Uh, how it seems like there's no remedy in the courts. And I just want to propose to people as I'm learning about alternate strategies and law here, as the, I'm realizing these charter rights are, are totally bogus. We've, a lot of people saw over the last couple of years that, you know, particularly as it comes to health, there's a huge inversion, you know, what the mainstream says is true versus the real way to find health. A lot of people are realizing like, man, there's remedy for me here. And it doesn't involve shooting up my children uh, the second they come out of the womb and poking them in the foot and taking their blood and disconnecting the the placenta within seconds of it coming out, they realize that there is a good, wholesome, right remedy for health. People are also realizing that with the education system, it's inverted. It's messed up. It's not right what they're teaching the children in school these days. A lot of what they're learning is lies. A lot of our foundational beliefs about the the history and the function of the world is a total inversion. But learning that is important because you realize there's remedy for that too about doing what's right and what's true. I'm going to propose to you that the same thing's happening in law. It's this 
belief. You need to get a lawyer. You need to do a charter challenge. Your rights are provided by the state in the form of these charter of rights and freedoms. Um, you must diminish yourself to the capacity of a government agent and accept these rights that they give you. I don't have the answer for it yet, like I do in health and education, but I'm just going to propose to people, maybe there are higher rights, higher forms of law that you don't need a lawyer for. You just need to stand in the truth and do what's right. And maybe there are equitable remedies available for people who are willing to do that and to take responsibility in the same way that a lot of people are now taking responsibility for their children's education and for the health of their families. I'm proposing to you, there is the same ability in law or there may be the same ability in law. And it's not like anything that you've been told. Okay. So that's intriguing. I would like to have you back at some point to maybe delve into that a little bit deeper. You can bring a couple lawyers on a couple alt justice people and we can see where that goes. That's intriguing. Like with healthcare, you can kind of take care of yourself with schooling. You can take care of your kids and, and educate them, but law might be a more difficult one. Although if we have a common understanding and maybe something separate from the system, we may not need too much of a law. Uh, well, maybe the, the courts are still independent. The judiciary is meant to be. Now, when you're standing in court as an agent of his majesty, you, you better expect to get treated like an agent of his majesty. But what if you didn't? That's what I'm proposing. Yeah, I'd like to jump into that a little bit deeper to see what that can mean. Um, Me too. Give it a label. <laughs> yep. Yeah, to, get into that. So we'll, we'll get you back sometime in the near future with that one. Uh, I got a couple of quick questions. If, you, if your wife doesn't mind, sure. I'll, I'll steal you for a couple more minutes. How did you meet uh, Chris and what brought you out to Alberta? Uh, um, I think I maybe got that in the back order. <laughs> so what brought you to yeah, Alberta? Well, to meet Chris? You, before the protest, I was already planning on moving. I knew that there was an area where people weren't so retarded. Uh, we traveled around a bit in BC and Alberta and we ended up in Alberta. It was great. I, uh, I just drove by the whistle stop just to go see Chris. This is not a lot of guys who are doing the same thing as we were. Uh, obviously we got along great. I really appreciated everything that he had done. I participated in a couple of the protests up there serving food, just had a ball still. I often, I had a lot of court dates out in Statler. I passed by the whistle stop. Dude's got the best burger that you can get on the road. Well, even at a restaurant, whatever, like real food. I really appreciated what he does there. Great breakfast. And um, yeah, we've, we've chatted off and on for the last couple of years. And I'm really happy to be here in Alberta where people are, especially in the rural area where I am and where Chris is, people are really of like mind. Mm -hmm. Well, you fit in perfectly. You got the plaid, uh, you got the beard. Everybody's going to love you here, Adam. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate that. Say thank you to the wife. Um, anybody want to say anything to uh, uh, Adam before we let him go? No? All right. Say hi to your wife. Have yourself a great day, and good luck with the fundraiser. Uh, I'll play it a couple more times before the uh, new year. Right on. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, God bless. See you. See you. Take care, brother. Okay, he is awesome. He's cool. Uh, he's a hero of yours there, Chris. Now let's get into more of your story. we got a little bit more time here. I hope you have some more time. I really want to start diving into this a little bit more. I do want to get back to Bruce. You, you mentioned we'll get back into Bruce. I also want to talk about your $12 billion lawsuit and then maybe even the Ingram one as well. Um, oh, man, Bruce. Uh, we'll, we'll take it either way you want there, there Chris. Well, first off, uh, let me just quickly tell you how Adam and I met. So 
during the course of uh, when we were engaged in civil disobedience and protesting the CMOH orders at Lusso Cafe, I was busy, like run off my feet busy. You have no idea how busy the only restaurant that's open in Alberta can be. That's pretty busy. <laughs> yep. So we're having a slamming day again. And uh, there's people everywhere. And I turn around, I look, and there's Adam Skelly sitting at a, at my restaurant table eating a hamburger. I'm like, I had no idea who's coming. Didn't even know he was in Alberta. He's just like, you know, this there. superhero that I saw on, on Facebook and on YouTube. And now he's here in my restaurant. So that was that was a pretty fun, fantastic day for me. Did you charge him for the meal? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think. I hope not. But you know what? Even if I even if I had uh, comped him the meal, he would have still put it in the tip jar. And at that Probably. point, that's what people were doing. There was it was it was so crazy busy there. Keeping in mind, this cafe was never designed to service that many people. I mean, it's small. It's a small place, and we were overrun with people. So I had. Um, so much staff working for that time. I was an inexperienced restaurant operator. Um, I also have a kind of a, I'm a big softy throughout the whole restrictions phase, like that first year where we complied, I didn't lay anybody off. I hired more people. That was a, it's from a business point of view, business perspective, that was a mistake because that cost me over a hundred thousand dollars to do that. Um, and at the time I was like, well, you know, the government's doing these subsidies, so I can just keep people working. Then they're not sitting at home collecting CERB. They're going to feel better about doing things, you know, and I, and this is while we were still complying. So, so I, I, I did that. And then when it got busy like that, man, we, I just had so many people working. So you, you'd think that we made a lot of money, but most of it went to wages. Anyway, that's another story, but that's, that's how Adam, Adam and I met. And actually Ke Kevin Johnson was with him at the time too. So that was the first time I met him. Uh, and uh, there's a picture out there that the trolls like to use to, I don't know, for whatever reason, but uh, I think they're both pretty cool guys. Yeah, we'll have Kevin on in the new year as well. Uh, he's out of the country right now. Boy, does he got quite the story. And I believe he's running for mayor of Mississauga now. So he's running for mayor all over this country, uh, Kevin. Wow. We'll get, we'll get into that story too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned that the police have already approached him about running for mayor of Mississauga. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the show but it's going to be coming up soon. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Kevin's an interesting okay. fellow. He he uh he thrives in that kind of the the dramatic flair type thing, right? So he'll be great in this element. Yeah, no doubt. And he's got lots of energy, so I expect it to be a high energy show. I'll make sure I'm ready for it. Okay, so Chris, uh the 12 billion dollar lawsuit and the Ingram decision. You were part of two major court cases here. So uh, Leighton Gray was on yesterday on Shadow Davis. We, we talked about the Ingram decision briefly. And then you've teamed up with uh, Ingram and Leighton. I'm not sure who's doing a $12 billion lawsuit with you. So uh, I wasn't involved in the Ingram case at all. Uh, at the time, my Rebecca Ingram opening her gym, uh, she was the first that actually got her day in court and was launching constitutional challenge and those kinds of things. So the Ingram case was ahead of my 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 stuff in the docket, so to speak. Um, okay. And all of our other issues were hinged on the outcome of Ingram because Ingram was was expected to and did make uh, you know kind of made precedent, right? Mm -hmm. So we were my stuff was all held up by Ingram, and Ingram eventually that was actually Jeffrey Rath 
uh, he was lead counsel in that, and he brought in Leighton, and him and Leighton, they uh, they cross-examined Dean Hinshaw together. It was, if you haven't read the transcript, you got to read it. It's like an episode of Boston Legal. It was fantastic. Watching those two guys uh, cross-examine people is, it's phenomenal. They're such good lawyers. So anyway, Ingram was uh, Jeff Rath. That was his deal. He took that on for Rebecca Ingram. And uh, Leighton Gray, uh, he is, he's launched actually a couple of lawsuits. Uh, one against uh, pharmaceutical companies for vaccine injuries. Uh, right. Another one uh, on behalf of Jesse Johnson with Without Papers Pizza for what the city of Calgary and AHS did to his business. So he's he's slugging it out as well. Um, the lawsuit that you're referring to with the number, the number that's thrown out there all the time is $12 billion. That is uh, Rebecca Ingram and I, we are co-lead plaintiffs against the government of Alberta for imposing those restrictions on the people of Alberta, ultra barriers of the Public Health Act. So they did not have legislation to back up what they did to us. They did not demonstrably prove that their removals and infringements of our constitutional rights and freedoms um, were appropriate, and now they gotta pay. And it's not just me, and it's not just Rebecca, there's, a, there's a, something like 150,000 small businesses in Alberta that were affected by those restrictions and mandates, and they were not done according to law. Now, if I do something outside the law and I cause harm to somebody, you better bet that I'm going to end up dragged into court to pay for what I've done. It's no different when the government does this to us. So this isn't, it's not, it's not that I'm trying to say, hey, government, you hurt me, give me a whole bunch of money. It's, hey, government you hurt us and you need to provide a remedy for all of us. The reason why the 12 billion was thrown around is because it just so happens that that's what we send Ottawa in equalization in, in kind of uh, give or take. So what Jeff Rath has said is here's an opportunity for you, government of Alberta to make rem not only make remedy for what, was done to the people of Alberta over the course of the pandemic, but also fulfill your obligation to Albertans to deal with equalization. So why not put your amazingly talented Department of Finance or Ministry of Finance to work and get this done so that every single penny of, of what we send in equalization is used to right the wrongs. And of course, it's going to take a dent out of the budget but then that should also drop our equalization. So two birds with one stone, keep money in Alberta, give business owners a remedy for what was done to them and stop sending money to Ottawa. That's uh, that's the the gist of that lawsuit. And what's the current status of it? Has it been certified? Have they oh, uh, filed a man. defense yet? Are they drawing I, it out? I've been trying to do a, a show or a little interview with Jeff Rath for quite some time, but both of our schedules have not allowed it. Mostly mine. Jeff's a lot more easy to work with than I am. Um, but I don't think they've even appointed a case management judge yet. They are dragging it on and on and on as long as they can. And that's why I said before, how, how many businesses have failed? How many business owners have taken their lives because they lost everything through that through the course of what the government did? And now we're going to wait another five years, another 10 years to get stuff through the courts that work so slowly that we can have, you know, we just happen to have uh, people sitting in jail with no trial for almost two years because the courts yeah. move that slow. How is that justice? 
They shouldn't even call it a justice system anymore. They should just call it, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. It certainly well, isn't justice. Yeah, we call it a legal system instead of a justice system. It's very different. A legal system is just the laws and the letter of the law. A justice system is on top of a legal system, but has justice, which means case by case, you examine it, you look at the humanity of it, you look at the spirit of it, the purpose of it. That's the other part that we've lost completely, completely. Uh, Donald, this is something you touch on all the time. We don't have rule of law anymore. Now you're seeing here government officials, uh, provincial officials, just doing whatever they want later. The, the courts kind of fix it up a bit and, and rule against it, but not at the time. And that takes a lot of time, like Chris has talked about. It can take up to years to get some sort of remedy. Um, are we dealing with thugs here on a provincial level too, not just the police? Yes, we're dealing with lawfare. Uh, we had just yesterday the same thing happened in Ontario. The Ontario Court of Appeal dismissed a vaccine passport case uh, and they said because, well, it's all over, so it doesn't matter anymore. So they delay it, and and then at the end, it's all over. Now, Chris's case is different because you're asking for money and and all the rest of that. Um, but still, uh, sorry, you're talking to a guy who did 63 days in solitary confinement because three lawyers, a police officer, and a corrupt judge, all, all of them corrupt, three corrupt lawyers, a corrupt police officer, and a corrupt judge decided that they were going to protect the legal community, the club, rather than, than do the right thing. So they put an innocent man in jail. I've been vindicated, it's all on my website. But even then, I retained a vestige of faith in our justice system, because these were just corrupt people in the system, and they did what they did. But when we came to COVID and the lockdowns and the consistent court decisions that we've seen that merely validate the tyranny and look the other way from the charter and the rule of law to do it, when I saw police kneeling with illegally, with illegally protesting Black Lives Matter uh, people, but then taking down Adam Scully Kelly and, and you and, and all the rest, um, we are in a lawless nation. Swear to put a cold rag on, on all these lawsuits that are going, but we are in a lawless nation. And I frankly don't expect justice from the courts. It's going to get worse. Yeah. I'm sure you're both aware that our even our conservative party of Canada recently made an amendment to their policy. That, so it, it no longer says that the Conservative Party of Canada believes in the supremacy of God and the rule of law. It now says the CPC believes in the supremacy of democratically elected institutions and the rule of oh. law. So they have removed uh, the moral standard and the, and the legal standard of, you know, basically a deity higher than us and, and, and better than us. I was unaware they, of that. I didn't know that. They themselves in there. So not, now they're our doctors. They want to be our god. They want to be our bankers. They want to own all our things. Um, it's uh, it's pretty unreal what's what's occurring around us. What we're bearing witness to, so to speak. Bearing witness, no doubt. It's a sin to um, uh, false idols, right? 
you gotta be careful with false idols. They just established themselves as a false idol there. Jason, Donald, did did you know that fact about the Conservative no. Party? I did not. No, no, that reminds me of Google because they originally had uh, do no evil and then they took it out. Uh, <laughs> so they could right, do well, evil. Well, yeah, you have to be inclusive <laughs> towards the people that want to do evil, right? Can't let them uh, be excluded. You're right. Uh, we got to make sure everybody's uh, at the party now. Oh my gosh, I did not know the CPC did that. That's amazing in the bad possible way. I hope that news gets out. Um, mm. Okay, so yesterday we were getting really upset. You were really getting upset. You were shaking. You mentioned that here a little bit today as well. Because one point in the Shadow Davis show yesterday, we kind of said, hey, look, Chris, yay, let's applaud. You, you, everything's against you is dropped. Let's just move on. Yay, right? And you're like, no. Uh, you were very upset of that position you were put in. You didn't get your time in court. You couldn't really push it any further. Uh, why don't you explain to people why you were not super happy about uh, the charges being stayed and then just moving on? There's a small little part of me that's a little bit of stress was relieved because uh, I was no longer worried about getting pummeled into oblivion by the government because of my charges and whatnot. However, okay. well, actually, a little, oh, let me back up. So the reason I was acquitted of my charges, which were multiple counts of contravening the Public Health Act of Alberta, was because uh, in the Ingram case, it was found that the government did not act according to the Public Health Act. It's a legislation. Now, let the, the Public Health Act gives this, the Chief Medical Officer of Health of Alberta unbelievable power to do things. She can make law, he or she can make law, they can change law, they can seize property. Anything is okay, nothing is off the table as long as they are trying to exercise their duties as the CMOH in good faith. That's kind of how the wording is. Well. What happened in Alberta is Dina Hinshaw, the CMOH at the time, went to the Kenny cabinet, Jason Kenny was the premier at the time, and said, here's a smorgasbord of different things that we can do to manage this pandemic. We can do nothing at all. We can let it run its course, you know, like Sweden and other countries that did that, and now they're faring better than us, but let's not talk about that. Uh, we can have a little bit of restrictions, and this is the possible outcome, or we can go full crazy lockdown, and this is what we're going to do. So she deferred the decision-making to cabinet. Cabinet said, oh, okay, well, let's, uh, I'll have a little bit of the mooshu pork and maybe some of those sweet and sour chicken balls. And you know what? Throw in some of that steamed rice while you're at it. And then she imposed those rules. Well, that's not okay because the government, as far as I know, is not our doctors. And no reasonable person would ever defer medical decisions to the government. That's for the CMOH inner capacity as a physician to do. So she didn't do that. And because right. she didn't do that, the powers that were afforded her under the legislation of the Provincial Health Act or the Public Health, Health Act of Alberta were, they weren't there. They weren't real. So the mandates and restrictions were actually done ultra-various of the Public Health Act outside of the legislation that gives her that power. So when I went back to court um, in a packed courtroom, ready to rock and roll, we had all sorts of insane disclosure about what AHS was doing and conspiring with other, other levels of government to pummel me, um, evidence that they were, and even uh, testimony in court that they at no time were doing things for public health, rather they were doing things to me and targeting me because I was making them look bad. The the Crown Prosecutor says, uh, due to the decision in Ingram, the, all this stuff that Chris was charged under was, 
it was all legal anyway, so I'm not going to pursue this any further. The courtroom erupted in cheers and clapping, and I just sat there. Um, I watched the Crown Prosecutor smirk. It was on a, it was a mm -hmm. WebEx. He didn't show up to court, and it was over. So all my charges were dropped. But in addition to my charges being dropped, we were also involved in a, what's it called, a, a trial within a trial, voir dire or whatever it's called. Voir dire, yeah. Uh, we're in, we had one of those where we were basically – painting this picture of what the government did to my little business simply because I was trying to, to earn a living. That was all gone too. And there is no way in hell that I could even hope to pay for a legal challenge like this. My legal costs were all crowdfunded. Every penny of it was all crowdfunded through the Democracy Fund uh, with Rebel News, Rebel Media. And uh, so they and, and and early on early on i had a conversation with ezra levant he said hey you know i applaud you for standing up and if you want to take this all the way we'll be behind you and he made me that guarantee and he and he held to it the whole time so i had the backing i had the resolve and the willpower i had the public support and public opinion to to get me through all this and make some real difference by setting the president precedent in court and making sure that nothing like that could happen to anyone again and it just went poof Right. You know, we're in the trenches on the front line. We're really battling it out with AHS. <laughs> Jeff Rath is standing a mile behind us with artillery, and he lobs one over and just takes out everything. So that's that's why I was upset because, and the other part of it is, there were there were things that were said in court that should vindicate me in the public eyes. Although, maybe some people it doesn't matter how much truth you put in front of them, they're not going to believe it anyway. But they said things like, "No." Nobody was ever harmed by Chris's actions. Nobody ever got sick there. Um, we weren't enforcing for public health. We were enforcing because they were making us look bad. Those types of things. Making us you look know, bad, yeah. Yeah, I, I needed those things to get out to the public so that these people who actually believe people like Jason Kenney and Justice Adam Germain, uh, when they said things like, this scoff law is causing irreparable harm to the people of Alberta, there's a, there's a portion of people in this province that believe I'm the friggin' antichrist because I poured coffee and served hamburgers. And I needed to get through court so that I could be, in the public's eyes, you are guilty until proven innocent. Maybe right. not in the court, but in the public, that's how it works. So if you can't go through that process and have a verdict delivered, the public will never, ever accept you as being innocent of those charges. And I'm not the only one that's in that situation. There's a, there's other people that are in jail right now, and they're uh, they're facing the same kind of fate. I'm getting fired. Hey, just... You should be because it is coming all back again. And what about the people who didn't have the ability to fight? Like you used your entire net worth to ha tackle this, but there's even smaller shops that had nothing, right? And they, well, they they just paid the fine. Or to be fair, I didn't use my net worth to fight this. I. I, when I opened against the restrictions, I knew there was going to be consequences. Um, I actually expected and accepted that I was going to, the government was going to obliterate me. Uh, I didn't expect to come out the other side. I, I expected that, that it was going to be a nasty end for, for Chris and the Wilson Cafe. Um, so I just put everything into that. And I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort traveling around the province, mostly on my own dime. I mean, some people, they 
put 20 bucks in my g-string or something like that but i i took days off work i hired extra staff uh traveled all over the province and other provinces to attend rallies and speak at these things you know we were in ottawa for three weeks and that cost me a lot of money so it wasn't it wasn't that it i had to put all my money in in fighting in court it was the external uh fight uh, to try and expose what the government was doing and get people to understand that we have to make some changes that's what costs cost some some big money gotcha gotcha and sorry about that confusion because yeah democracy fund helped you out with most of those legal fees now are you going after them to recoup some damages other than the 12 billion dollar one like okay so the you're going after the province for the, the damages are you going after the police in any way shape or form for any illegal activity or any civil violations, or are you just sticking to this $12 billion lawsuit right now? So um, just to, to clear this up, it's not actually a $12 billion lawsuit. I mean, that number was suggested. Uh, it's just what I refer to it as. Yeah, yeah sorry. If, you, if you think about the number of businesses that were affected and how much it cost them, even if the government did something like, you know, paid off people's SIBA loans or whatever, it's 40,000 bucks if you paid off before January or something. Um, that's like, I think it's like 4.9 billion or something. So the numbers are mind boggling. I'm not personally asking for anything. I'm telling my story to the court and I'm going to let the court, ultimately the court is going to decide what remedy, uh, I'm, I deserve or the people of Alberta deserve. So that's how that works. The other stuff, the, the RCMP enforced illegal orders. The RCMP right. assisted uh dave brown the the uh, uh environmental public health manager for whatever area in stealing my building the rcmp assisted alberta health services in tyrannizing a protest that i was holding um so you know i, I don't think that being ignorant of the law gives you a pass so so i i yeah, I, I'm gonna have to seek a remedy from some of these other agencies. Alberta Health Services, uh, that's a it's a more tricky one. Leighton Gray is taking them on with uh, Jesse mm -hmm. Johnson, but they're a bigger adversary than the government. I mean, they have a bottomless trough to feed lawyers from. They have more power than the government. The bureaucracy and the tangled web that it's woven within the government is I don't think people even could comprehend the significance of that. Um, but yeah, like the, the other part of it is I have no money. I, I, I run a restaurant in rural Alberta. I, I don't make a lot of money in the first place. So the prospect of fighting those two groups that did what they did to me. Uh, and I referred this, I referred to this before that's impossible unless I do it on my own, like a march into court on my own and say, Hey, these guys did this to me. And probably get laughed out of court but how does somebody like me get a remedy when the government and the cops do something like that to you unless an entire community supports the the initiative well that leads me to my next question here for donald because donald i, I know we've been talking about you know the nci report they're calling for criminal uh investigations as well can any of this uh they took his property they violated uh, they trespassed themselves they they did some other things here that are not kosher is there a potential that through this 
if there is a larger investigation on the COVID response because of the NCI report, that this qualifies as part of that investigation as well, because these are responses to the COVID measures. Well, first of all, excuse me. <clears throat> first of all, we put in place in law many provisions to protect law enforcement, crown prosecutors, judges, as long as they do things in good faith, they're protected. It's, however, it's there's always a however, but but we were all we always went to what was called the hangman's provision, the hangman's saving provision. In this country, I think we last held our last public execution in 1963, 1960. I forget. In Stetler. Say again. In Stetler. Half hour from where I'm at. Yes. Um, oh, I thought it was Toronto, but in any way, in any event, um, there was a provision in law when we had capital punishment that if you brought the wrong prisoner to the hangman and the hangman thought it was the right prisoner and he did so in good faith, he was protected. That's called the mm -hmm. hangman's provision, hangman's saving provision. And you know, that applies to the police. It applies to the crown prosecutors. Laws they do. So if the police say, "Well, I thought it was a, I thought it was a lawful, legal law," I was told. They may well get off individually. But there's a lot more to it than that. We had, as as I keep pointing out, we had police that totally ignored everything, the rule of law, laws themselves, that acted outside of the existing laws and this may well this there may well be something in there but it's going to be a high threshold there is yeah. there's another part to that so a lot of these issues if not all of them are because there are loopholes in our legislation or there are there isn't legislation to protect individuals the way it needs to the laws need to change. There are some laws that need to change. I said before, protest is kind of like a, that's the first thing you do, you raise awareness and things, but eventually at some point you have to deal with the problem, which is legislation. Mm -hmm. Now, you probably already know this, uh, uh, Jason, maybe you do as well, Donald, but I, I had the opportunity to get involved in politics, uh, as in like, an elected representative, a legislator in Alberta. And I chose not to because I realized that I think Albertans aren't quite ready or understand uh, what needs to change and why yet. So I think the education part of it is vitally important right now, which is why I accepted the role as the CEO of the Alberta Prosperity Project, because we want to educate Albertans as to what these issues are and what the solutions can be. So I, I chose to go down that path. And there's I don't know if it's a majority or some or whatever, but there's a group of people who see me engaging with the current government who can write legislation and trying to work within. They see that as a, like a bad thing, you know? Well, well, why is Chris who is you know, speaking out against everything and pushing back against the government now working within the government? And the answer is because the laws need to change and I'm gonna do everything I can, regardless of what people think of me, to make sure that the laws get changed in the right way, to make sure that 
you know, par governing party policy changes in the right way. And every every single chance that we have to use our voices and make a difference that t that moves the needle more towards freedom, I think we have to do that. Uh, there are some that argue, these are the guys that did this to you, Chris, why would you do this? Well, because um, you remember that movie where the monkey taps the guy in the head and he says it's in the past. Right. That's the past. What they did to me is in the past and have absolutely no consequence, except for it fired me enough, fired me up enough to want to get involved. Now we got to look towards the future. And if we don't start getting involved in these things and making significant and lasting changes in legislation, what the hell's the point of any of it? Because it's just going to happen again, right? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Alberta Prosperity Project. That's my next line of question here for you is what got you into that? You basically answered it now. And what is APP? And what, because a lot of people outside of Alberta may not even have heard of it. So what is it, the APP and what is the primary mission that you have right now? So in the fall of 2021, I believe, I was invited to attend a meeting. Out? Pardon? It's around when vaccines first came out? Yeah. Late 2021? Or, or maybe it was fall. I can't remember now. Anyway, I was invited to attend a meeting in a shop in Miscue. Totally against the rules because we were still not allowed to gather. But anyway, a bunch of us gathered in the shop and I was invited because uh, the organizers wanted me to share my story. There's a lot of organizers of uh, groups that wanted me to share their stories to try and convince people to join the groups. So anyway, Fair I enough. went up and it was pointed out that a lot of the things that are happening to us um, are the result of an imbalance between the federal and provincial government and our inability to make any differences uh, in any federal matters if we are in the West because the vote, the vote, the election is done at the Manitoba border. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always it always will be. So out of that was uh, kind of born the idea that Alberta needs to stand up and say enough is enough and demand that Ottawa just quit interfering with our sovereign jurisdictions. We want independence and independent Alberta, or at the very least a referendum on independence so we can let uh, have some leverage in negotiating with the federal government. So that's what the Alberta Prosperity Project is. It's, it's about literally that a prosperous Alberta. Well, how do we create a prosperous Alberta? First of all, we have to have the ability to chart our own course. We have to be able to um, say, sorry, government, but we're actually, we don't actually believe that our very existence and agriculture and oil and gas is killing the world. We believe that it's making the world a better place and we have plenty of evidence to support that. So no, we're not going to buy into your net zero plans. We're not going to buy into your uh, ridiculous green agenda and follow some fairy tale ideological lunatic policy invented by globalists who we're not are not accountable to us. We need to be able to make those decisions on our own. We just had the Prime Minister of Canada tell Canadians what vehicles they could drive after 2026. Yeah, after right. 26 in this country that is responsible for less than three percent of global emissions and on a global scale has an immeasurable impact on global anything, you can't drive a gasoline-powered car. Um, they're telling the West that you need to cut your, or you're going to have to reduce your fertilizer because you're killing the planet by using fertilizer, so you got to cut it by 30%, which, by the way, isn't an arbitrary number. It's a number that's used in countries all over the world implementing the same policies that all came from the same place, and we know where that came from, our friend yep. uh, Klaus Schwab over in Switzerland. 
So the federal government is imposing all of these things on us that are reducing our prosperity. The carbon tax is a big one. It's gone up year after year. We're seeing it on our heating bills. We're seeing it on our um, on our grocery bills, on everything. And Alberta, BC, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba combined cannot stand against that. Well, at some point, you have to be willing to stick your neck out and stand up and say enough is enough. Not just for you, like not just for Alberta, but for everybody, because all the Canadian provinces are dealing with the same issue. So Alberta needs to be and can be and will be the province that stands up to the federal government, gets the negotiating power via a referendum on independence, and uses that leverage to stop them in their tracks from what they're doing. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big job and it's kind of like opening your restaurant in the face of a provincial bureaucracy and government that's going to try and crush you. But if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And if we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? Or are we just going to keep doing the same things over and over and over again? So that's in a nutshell, what the Alberta prosperity project is about. Um, there's a lot more on the, in the prosperity side of it. We do webinars every Wednesday we bring on uh, all sorts of cool guests who have interesting things to say about current events or, or uh, Canada or whatever. But that's that's kind of our goal, to be the education that the province needs to start charting our own course forward and get out from under these uh, ridiculous fairy tale laws. Now, the one thing that I've loved about Alberta is it's very active on a provincial level. So you had the Rose Party, you have a whole bunch of things are very active on a provincial level. In fact, the four out of the last five conservative uh, leaders in Alberta didn't finish their term because uh, when Alberta's unhappy, when the base is unhappy, they take action. I love that. Where I think there's a challenge and where they kind of stop and drop the ball is federal representation. They always party a line always party aligned with the federal party. So why not start looking at independent, uh, sending some independent MPs, not party aligned, Alberta aligned. Uh, you can still be conservative, but why is there the disconnect in Albertans where they say, hey, look, we don't like Ottawa. We, we want to push against them, but they continue to send federal party members to represent them on a federal level. Um, it seems to me obvious because I'm running as independent that this is not the right way to do it. But what do you think? Do you think... Uh, being party aligned on a federal level is also part of the challenge that we have here in Alberta by not getting the respect we deserve out of uh, Ottawa. There's two parts to that. The first one is, uh, while I appreciate the idea of independent candidates, and I commend you for 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 doing that. That's a, it's a lot of work. It's a big job. It's going to cost you time, energy, and money. So good for you. And I know that. Well, at least I think that you want to do it for the right reasons. The whole reason we have parties is because no matter what we do human beings, we're, we're kind of herd animals. And if we don't, if we're not in a herd, we will find one. And it's no different than with independence. If we had no political parties in this country or in this province, and every single MLA or MP was an independent, there would be factions develop in those groups, whether we know about it or not, there'd be no regulation, there'd be no oversight, because it would be all backroom deals. And those independents could act as factions or collectives to try and accomplish certain things. And in a way, they would kind of have to, because if you want to pass legislation, well, you're going to have to work with a group or a faction that is of like mind to pass the bill. Um, we see this kind of, to some extent, in European countries, like take Holland, for instance. They got a ton of political parties. Um, you know, they're not all independents, but there's so many of them. They may as well be. And right. if 
two or three or four parties don't work together to accomplish something, they never get anything done. Now, the bad part about that is if you want to work with a group of people to get things done, you have to make concessions in order to agree on something, right? So while the idea of independent candidates free of party uh, policy Persuade, is, persuasion persuasion is it sounds good i think there's more to it and the other way of attacking that i shouldn't say attacking the other way of working with that is by engaging with the party and um for instance th this year at the ucp agm there's a lot of policy and governance motions passed that are fantastic one of them says basically that the united conservative party believes that doctors shouldn't be interfered the government shouldn't interfere with doctor patient relationship that's a big one. that's important right the doctor patient relationship is sacred and it should remain so and the government shouldn't have their fingers in there so that's party policy now what is a policy without enforcement or teeth to back it up next year one of the policies that we're going to put forward says our mlas will have to vote on the party policy so they will have to vote do you agree with this policy or do you not agree with it and then that goes back to the ca the companion resolution for that is if the MLA does not abide by or uh, believe in the party policy that the members have chosen and voted on, by the way, our voices, Albertans, then we can immediately recall and replace them. That's the T, right? So right. There, there's two there's two ways of dealing with it. And I'm uh, I'm more inclined to think that if we work within, if we actually show up, and we do our civic duty in any of these institutions, whether or not they're party candidates or in independent candidates, we can make some changes. And the problem that we've, we're facing, the problem is just simply because we haven't shown up. Less than 2% of Canada holds a membership in a political party. That's yeah. absolutely pathetic. What's even more pathetic is our Conservative Party of Canada at their AGM just a little while ago. Did you hear about that? Mm-hmm. Were you able to attend? No, I, I could not attend. Sorry. Not very many people were able to attend. It wasn't an open thing. Like, you know, here in Alberta, we're saying, no, we need to flood these things and have all of our voices as Albertans talking about these things, debating, making policy, because this is our future. Well, the CPC, you know, they're going to be the next government, but this is a big problem when they don't allow the people's voices to, to influence party policy. What are they so scared of, right? So that's the first, the first uh, part of that, and I can't even remember what the second one is. So we might might just have to move on. No problem, and I'm sure we can come back to it. And look, I don't disagree with you on the independent challenges that that there are. It's built into the system. It's also built into our culture to make yeah. it difficult. But you're not wrong because as an independent, if you want to get anything done, you definitely have to work with your neighbors. For example, if you want a road across the province, you're going to have to work with every riding. If they're all independent, you're all have to work together. They're just a but small you can example. be a temporary voice too, which is important. Sorry, temporary voice, which is important? No, no, a tempering. Like your voice can tempering, can temper yes, tempering. A debate, right? You can add some common sense that maybe a, a party candidate wouldn't do. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go with the second part of this, which is accountability. And uh, you can really get that with an independent because an independent could be in there basically like a referee because we're all tribal. We have our teams. Yeah. But if an independent goes in there like a referee where they're not on a side, but they're calling fouls on both sides and trying to hold you know, rule of law, that's where a lot of value could be. 
Um, I Donald, I know, I know this is something that you've been looking at in Ontario. You've been part of some early young parties as well. And you've been part of, I think, the PBC, one of the founding members there too. So you have a good idea here on how even parties are required. And, and it's difficult to do the independent thing. But sometimes, you know, a group of like-minded in a party can be very valuable as well. Uh, you're seeing Alberta in a different light, I hope, over the last six months that you've been hanging around. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Chris's, Chris's movement here with the Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, with his desire to get more involved? And then forget, the, Chris, forget the haters. The people that say, hey, why are you going into the beast? Because the beast needs to be fixed. That's why. Um, so it's pretty easy to, uh, to debate that one. But Donald, what, what's your take on the Alberta Prosperity Project and uh, what Chris was just speaking of? Well, first of all, I love Albertans because you're doing something, you're, you're taking the lead for this country, and it, it's happening. What's happening is people are becoming more interested in politics. They've realized that, you know, we sort of let it run itself. We didn't do our duty. We didn't, we didn't take responsibility. But now, when I look at, at what's happening, for instance, with uh, Maggie Hope Braun and groups like that, people are recapturing local politics and and you know provincial politics is pretty local and mm. and they're recapturing it and they're recapturing the parties and i think we saw that at at the the ucp annual meeting did we not i mean yes, we, saw, we, we saw that and we're going to keep on seeing that and that's tremendously uplifting especially where we think this next year is going to go and the challenges that we're, we're all going to face. You know, maybe this just had to happen to get people to walk out the door and do something. Maybe it just had to happen. And that's what we're seeing. In the words of our friend, uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but I'd still call him a friend. Um, thank God for COVID because it opened our eyes to a lot of these problems that we would have not otherwise paid attention to, or maybe just continued to sit on the couch while they unfolded around us. Right. And I when did remember the second part of your question there. Oh, you got it? Yeah. Well, we'll let um, Donald finish and we can jump to you there, Chris. Yeah, sure. Right, Don? I was just going to say, when they seized bank accounts because people gave 50 bucks to the truckers, they really overplayed their hands. That, I mean, people were lined up at banks the next morning. If you know anybody from the banking uh, industry, you know what I'm saying is true. They had runs on cash, and it went on for weeks. Uh, it was, actually, you know, as horrible as that was, that's probably the one of the best things that happened to wake people up in this country in a long time. They seized bank accounts of their political opponents. Yeah, and they also destroyed the media, so we had to replace it. And I think that's a great godsend oh, as well, yeah. the fact that we're able to do stuff like this. Sorry, Chris, go ahead with the second half. Oh, that's right. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, we're kind of going into the beast to fix it from, from within. Uh, yeah. I have a different perspective on that. There's a lot of talk out there about how the whole system is corrupt and everything is bad and the government's bad and all the politicians need to go. I disagree, um, but I do say there's a lot of corruption. A political party or a government or a system in itself cannot be bad or evil. It's the people that mm -hmm. use, utilize, or abuse that particular system 
to accomplish their own agenda. It's it's kind of like the government is a it's a rifle, okay, and you can use that for something good like hunting or defending yourself, or you can use it to force people into submission. But it's not the gun or the system that's responsible for the crimes. It's the people wielding the power. And that's why it's so important to start showing up and, and making these changes. The United Conservative Party, uh, I was so friggin' mad at the whole works of them for being cowardly, for just bending to Jason Kenney's every whim, or holding dinners at the Sky Palace while the rest of us subjects were um, not allowed to visit our parents in the hospital when they died. I was so mad at them, as were hundreds of thousands of Albertans and the mistake we made is because we were mad, we left. That party went from 135,000 members uh, in its inception and when Jason Kenney was elected leader and blah, 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 to 8,000. So what right. everyone who disagreed just got pissy and left and left the lunatics to run the asylum. And that was the wrong thing to do. If we hadn't have done that, if we had used that system for good, we would have nipped this in the bud three years ago. But we didn't because that's just not what we were kind of trained to do, but now we're realizing the error of our way. So your, your second part of that uh, question about Alberta and federal politics, do you know why I don't give much mind to federal politics? Why is that? It doesn't make a damn bit of difference in this province. Here's an example. Stephen Harper was a, uh, a good conservative from Alberta. And he wrote the firewall letters, basically saying this is what Alberta needs to do to insulate itself against Ottawa, to fix its position within Confederation. Right. He was elected prime minister. Do you know how many of those things he did? None. Zero. And it wasn't anything personal. It was business. It was politics. And, and it was the fact that if a prime minister or a prime minister, minister, prime minister candidate does not win Ontario or Quebec, they will not be the prime minister. Preston Manning uh, is another great example. He started the Reform Party, and that erupted like wildfire across Western Canada. And the and the phrase back then was, you know, Reform Party. The West wants in. We want a seat at the table. We want, we're grown up. We want to help chart the course of this country, this great country. We want to be part of it. Didn't work because they don't want the West in. Did you know that in 1904? A man by the name of Clifford Sifton, he actually let the cat out of the bag on what Alberta and the West's relationship with Canada is. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's in Clifford Sifton, Volume 2. You can look it up for yourself. He said, and I'm not quoting, I'll paraphrase. I'll paraphrase. All Canadian patriots, meaning those in central Canada, wish for the colonies of the West, Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, to join this confederation so that the great trade of the prairies will enrich our lives in the East in every conceivable way and build our factories or something like that. He actually said, we want you guys to join Confederation so that we can plunder your wealth. Yep. And nothing's changed in 118 years. It's been exactly the same. So your second part of the question, and why, you know, why don't we focus on federal politics? Because it doesn't matter. You know, I want to see good people in uh, MP seats in Parliament because... I really enjoy watching them say common sense things. Do I think it's going to make a difference for Alberta? Absolutely not. I mean, Stephen Harper was probably the probably the strongest conservative prime minister from Alberta we've ever seen. Uh, he had a very, very strong uh, desire to fix Alberta and make things better for Albertans, and even he couldn't do it. Um, Brian Mulrooney, 
he was the uh, he was the the prime minister, and and they put out a tender for uh, servicing the newly purchased CF-18s, and Manitoba won hands down. Like it was a no contest. It was between Manitoba and Quebec, and the contract was awarded to Quebec because Brian Mulroney knew that if he didn't please the East, he would no longer be the prime minister, right? So sure, um, federal politics is, is a thing, I guess, but f- from the perspective of an Albertan in a province that has never had a seat at the table of confederation, um, the only way we will be able to prosper as we as we should in this province is if we're under the boot of the uh, out from under the boot of the federal government, whether it's within or external of confederation. And to be fair, if Ottawa actually respected our constitutional sovereign jurisdictions and stayed out of our affairs, things would probably be okay. We wouldn't have the no more pipelines bill. We wouldn't have the uh, no more tankers bill. We wouldn't have the carbon tax. Um, we wouldn't have a federal digital health ID that just we just signed on to because we're mm-hmm. right. We wouldn't have any of those things. They would do their things. We would do our thing and everybody would be happy. That's the way it was supposed to be. And that's why the Constitution was written the way it was, because they understood that we have regional and cultural differences. And if we don't agree that everyone can guide their own futures according to their cultures and their values, um, we're not going to succeed. We have to let everyone chart their own course, but that's not happening. Uh, the carbon tax, great example. We, Jason Kenney filed a reference case in the Supreme Court uh, as to the constitutional validity of the carbon tax. And the Supreme Court came back and said, because neither party disputes the facts of climate change, we rule in favor of the federal government, even though the carbon tax is unconstitutional because it infringes on our resource development and export. You see how this works? That the federal government are, is res- responsible for climate. Well, I hate even saying it. Environment yeah. and climate change. So they've said because we're responsible for these departments, this overrides your responsibility of managing your resources because your resources are killing everybody. So we're going to shut them down. Theresa Tam just laid the groundwork and paved the way to do that with health. Theresa Tam said, um, uh, "Climate change is the most." the most serious impact on our health. You see what they've done there? Yep. They've mixed up their jurisdiction with ours. And they're going to use that to take our jurisdiction in healthcare, which they've already started to do by dangling a $1.5 billion carrot in front of us, which is our own money, and signing us on to submit to the jurisdiction of the federal government in matters of health. And it's it's not going to end until a province stands up against it. We better do it soon because the next step will be policing. So climate change and policing and education. They'll take over on a national level education. Those will be the next two for sure if we allow resources, which we've done already, and then healthcare. Uh, Okay, so Danielle, does she have big enough boots to stop this? We love her, but does she have big enough boots? No, she doesn't. But what she does have, out of all the politicians I've seen in Alberta, and at least my tenure as an Albertan, none of them have as big a balls as Danielle Smith. Now, I don't agree with everything she does. I don't agree with all of her policies. As a matter of fact, some of the things that she does, I outright, I like, I, I, 
uh, I'm against. However, when I watch her do things like, uh, she's trying to play the game in the system that we're in to keep Alberta prosperous and actually make it more prosperous. I had a conversation with her just after she was elected and there were some concerns that I had about some of the net zero stuff. And she said, listen, we can actually do more in Alberta. We can produce more oil and gas. We can have more industry while meeting these criteria and we don't have to fight against it and Albertans will prosper. Is that the best course of action? I, I, I don't know. I think that just putting our foot down and saying, that's all malarkey, we're not doing it, piss off. I think that's the best strategy. But also, you know, I'm not a seasoned uh, a politician. She thinks it's better to do the things that she's doing to the benefit of the people of Alberta. And I believe that she actually does wish to uh, uh, make this province a better place. I, I watch her do things standing up against the federal government. She uses words like sovereignty. And she wants the federal government to stay out of our wheelhouse. And that's fair. They should stay out. But what is really occurring is she's showing that even the premiers of the provinces with the best of intentions and the best laid plans and the most facts and logic and reasoning behind what they're doing will fail in the face of the federal government. I mean, the federal government says we need to drop emissions by whatever by 2030, Danielle Smith says. I'm sorry, but that's unrealistic. Here's the proof to show you that this is not possible. You're going to decimate the economy. We're not doing it. But look it, we can meet your emissions goals by 2050. And Stephen Gilboa says, that's not good enough. We need to phase out oil and gas. There you go. It's not about reducing emissions. It's about right. phasing out oil and gas. But unfortunately for the federal government, phasing out oil and gas is not their wheelhouse. That's ours. Because that's our oil and gas, it's our resource, and we have a constitutional sovereign jurisdiction to deal with that as we please, right? So Danielle Smith knows this, and a lot of the things she's going to do or try to do and probably fail are going to set the stage for Alberta to say, listen, if Ottawa's not going to respect the conditions of confederation and the deal we signed up to, we're not going to participate anymore. This marriage has become one-sided. If you ask any Alberta, if you laid out to them what's going on and how we're uh, how the federal government is overreaching and how this relationship is so unbalanced, if you, and we were all individual province, uh, countries right now, all the provinces were countries, and you said, under these conditions, would you join this confederation? Alberta, will you join the confederation and give uh, um, uh, $60 billion per year in, equal, in, in money for which we only give you $27 billion back? Will you contribute $3 billion a year more to the pension plan than you get back for your pensioners while your pensioners have to choose between groceries and heat? Will you uh, allow the federal uh, crown institutions to imprison your, your Albertans and hold them for two years without a trial? Will you uh, stymie your resource and development and prosperity of your province to satisfy the, the whims of people in other provinces? Nobody would do it we would say no. And my question is, if we wouldn't join Confederation under the current conditions, why in the hell would anybody want to stay? Why? Not saying that it can't be fixed with, with some leverage, but that's that's where we're at right now. And yeah. I'm yeah, no, I'm feeling, 
I'm feeling frustrated with you because I think we're at like 20% in support of separation, you know, like taking a big step. Whereas it's coming down, is that what you said? No, no, it goes it goes up and it goes down. I think the highest yeah. we've seen in polling for whatever that means is 40%, which is pretty substantial. But I think mm. it usually hovers around that 25%. But you got to remember, we've never attacked this from a, uh, a perspective of education before. We've always tried to form political parties and get elected. We've never spent the time, energy, and resources to educate Albertans as to what's actually going on and how we can fix it. And that that's something we want to do different with the Alberta Prosperity Program. Okay, well, that could take a generation, though. Like, how fast do you think education can take hold so that politically people are, you know, taking the seats, they're fighting hard, they're pushing against the current elected officials? Is that a generational thing, or do you think that could be years? Well, it's, I, I don't know. It, it could be quick. It could be generations. It could be years. Unfortunately, I don't think we have generations to do this. But mm -hmm. the one thing we have in our corner, believe it or not, is uh, Justin Trudeau and Stephen Gabot. They are the biggest advocates for Alberta independence that I've seen on the political stage for decades, at least in my voting adult life. Their policies that they put out and the things that they say and the way they treat the Western provinces is the best sales pitch for independence that I've ever seen in my life. So they're helping us out, and I, I appreciate it. Do you think they might be helping us out or leading us towards a civil war by creating the divide? I know I'm bringing that word up a little bit early here, but uh, that might question. be the next year. Like, are they trying to, like, is he trying to push us to the point where we stand up and say no more? In this world, for 5,000 years, maybe longer than that, there have been two distinct different groups of people. The people that understand human nature and use that to their advantage to advance their agendas and prosper, and those who don't understand human nature and submit to the whims of those who do, right? Right. So right now we're facing this weird situation that I maybe we faced before, maybe we haven't. I don't know. It seems to me that I always find out there's nothing new under the sun. So it's probably happened before. <laughs> Everything's a divide. Everything. Mm -hmm. And it might be the the flow of information that's caused this because information is so accessible, uh, but the information we access is largely the result of our own bias. So we seek out information that confirms our bias. You know what I mean? Yep, and, yep. and no longer is it a we're 70 percent conservative and 30 percent liberal or socialist or marxist or communist or whatever the hell they want to call themselves now now we're 49.5 to 50.5 and that is not conducive to a, a society that gets along that's literally the conditions for the division we're seeing and it's everything you wear a trump hat someone will throw a rock at you you say um you know i believe taking it to the other side Hey, uh, we need to get rid of all the CO2 so we survive. Well, someone on the other side will call you a, a libtard. Everything right. is a hardcore division, and it's not like we're just jumping over a sidewalk anymore, the divide. It's the friggin' Grand Canyon. Everything, every issue. And there's only one thing that can combat that, and that is an effective education campaign. If you look at societal movements, uh, in, you know, kind of in the political realm that have happened across the world in the last hundred years. The ones that succeed are the ones that spread the word and educate the people as to uh, the problem and the solution, not pander to the divide. Like there's, you know what, get this. 
I want what's best for this province. I'll stand up for people's rights and freedoms. I'll sacrifice my own future, whatever, yada, 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 to, for this thing. I don't believe that the lines in the sky are a nefarious plot to spray us with chemicals. So people cast me aside as right. a government agent controlled opposition. Correct. I also believe that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to die and suffer an eternal, uh, a bad eternal fate. I believe that. And some people will cast aside my advocacy for, um, for rights and freedoms because I believe in God. That's where we're at these days. And that, it, it's, it scares me and it frustrates me. And that's part of the reason why I'm so frustrated lately because I watch this occur with every single issue. Uh, Ukraine and Russia. Oh, well, stand with Ukraine. Well, why are you standing with Ukraine? They're poking the bear and the bear poked back. Oh, you're a racist. Pardon? What? I'm just, I'm identifying something that's going on. Oh, well, now it's uh, Israel and, and Palestine. Well, these things that are happening, we have no control over. Nothing we do in Canada or anywhere in the world besides that region that's experiencing conflict is going to change anything there. And yet we're destroying ourselves and our friends and neighbors in Canada holding protests and rioting in the streets over something that's happening across the world that we have no ability to control. How do you, how do you, yeah, I mean, if, if there's going to be a civil war, I certainly see signs of those types of things happening. Well, one of the things we were talking about yesterday on Shadow Show, because there's a lot of predictions about what's going to happen, a, a black flag event, a black swan event, maybe a civil war. But one of the things I brought up is a white identity. This is a new classification I think is going to be forced upon us, not created by us. We're not going to do a white defensive league or anything like that that's white supremacy right there by definition almost but that's going to be forced upon us there's going to be a division there uh, the demonization of white straight white especially straight white male especially uh is going to continue all the way down to the point of labeling and creating a tribe out of it i think that's going to be the last division uh, everything else was a prelude to that one because at that point it's 50 percent now i think it's around 50 percent is the number um, so that may happen. Now, you mentioned two ways to change, or well, one way to change, and that's through education. But another way, which is a lot quicker, is pain. So when there's enough starvation, the bread lines are long enough, and people have completely lost faith in the government taking care of them, all sides, uh, that's another way to kick off a, a change. Um, Donald, do you think uh, we have enough time for education, or do you think it's going to get so painful around here that that might be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back? The education is happening, and and the fact that the the paid propaganda media is failing and and would be totally failed if they didn't prop it up, is is proof of that. And the millions of people who are watching shows just like this right now and reading independent art that's all proof of that. So is it going to be enough? They still control the press, they control the message. They, them, the predator class, let's call them. And all this division is fits right into their hands. And yet, what are we to do? Are we to just to stand there and let our children and grandchildren be led into a cult, which will see them chop off their privates and sterilize and be sterilized? Because that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that's very divisive, isn't it? There's a lot of things that are divisive. Well, where we can compromise, 
we have to compromise. But maybe we're here because we didn't stand up. Maybe we're here because we didn't stand for election at the library board and the town councils. Maybe that's how we got here. And so maybe just acting locally, taking back the local uh, politics on all levels, maybe that'll be a good start. Because when you start talking to people these days, yes, I know things like, you know, Israel and, and Gaza and, and you talk about Ukraine and Russia. No, talk about what what's happening here, what's happening mm -hmm. in your local neighborhood. There's a lot of agreement. So we, we have to work on that. I think that if we start taking back the local governments, we're going to see a change and we might avoid a lot of what's what they, the predator class, wants to happen. Okay, point. and then, yeah, really good point. Don's awesome at this. There's one one last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Get back to your evening. We've got lots of work to do. Uh, immigration. So across Canada, a whole bunch of people are moving to Alberta from different provinces, but we're also being stacked with immigration from outside of Canada. Uh, I believe we're disproportionately receiving immigrants, especially refugees, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Uh, that's another way for them to counter what we're trying to do. You can continue to educate people here, but if they keep bringing in more and more people, they're going to be compliant and complicit to the government that brought them in, or at least the government that's taking care of them. Uh, that's going to be a, a large uphill battle for us as well. So do we educate people on immigration? Do we educate people on what the government's doing? Where do, should we start tackling this issue, you think, uh, Chris? Well, there's, there's a couple things there. First off, I want to point out that immigration uh, is a constitutional, is a sovereign jurisdiction for the province under the Constitution. The provinces are responsible to, um, to, to choose how they um, allow immigrants in. And the reason for that is because we should be, our immigration policy should support not only the uh, compassionate uh, response to things that happen across the world and, and helping people get out of bad situations, but also making sure that Alberta gets what Alberta needs. We need skilled labor. We need uh, people to fill positions here. So it's important for us to make sure that uh, our immigration policy benefits the province so that we can continue to be compassionate. Now, when you talk about them flooding us with immigrants, uh, I went on a little tour of Europe uh, last year and it was really strange being in Amsterdam, Paris, London, and I was a minority. Mm. I'm even exaggerating. I, as a white guy, like I was a minority there, and I had never been to Europe before, so I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I'm assuming that probably 50 years ago it wasn't like that. Is that a problem? Well, no, because the color of our skin has nothing to do with who we are. However, we're also immigrating a shift in culture. And right. if you talk to people from Holland, which I have lots, um, Holland isn't the same anymore. Their culture and their values are slowly disappearing because unchecked immigration is allowing other cultures to take over. Now, I don't, I, I don't even know what to say about that. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stick with Alberta here. People immigrate to other countries, I think generally because they want better lives. They want to be mm -hmm. more prosperous. And what better way to attract or to gain a vote from somebody who immigrates to Alberta than present a plan that ensures that they have a prosperous future and their kids and grandchildren have a prosperous future. So some might see the uh, immigrants coming to the province as 
liberal Trudeau voters, but I, I see that um, I, I see, see that as being the contrary. Reality will eventually slap people in the face and people might immigrate to Canada or Alberta thinking, oh, they're just going to get a free pass, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But eventually they find out that's not the case and you do have to actually work and you got to do things. And hey, you know what? Maybe these conservative values are actually, they're a good thing. Mm -hmm. So knowing that they come here to better themselves and they probably want to work hard and uh, have a better future for their, their children, those are, those are conservative voters. They really are. They might not know it when they move here because uh, the Liberal government is all roses and, and unicorns, but very quickly they're going to find out when they try and pay their gas bill and they're paying 75% uh, of their bill is a carbon tax, they're going to find out that uh, conservatism and our path is much more likely to result in the prosperity that they came here for. Okay, well, I really like what you did there. So you turned what commonly is referred to as a problem into a positive. And you're not wrong. Like we see this with Cubans and we see this with uh, people from south of the American border when they come up. They usually turn conservative after they get there um, because they run into their own problems as well. So maybe that is the solution then, just education. Whether you're a newcomer or you've been here for a while, you've got to educate them all. Um, you want to target the cities maybe first on this one? How so? For the education, because that's kind of where all the uh, non-conservatives are. It would be in the cities and the people that want 15-minute cities, uh, maybe educate them on what that means. Um, people that are asking for and calling for like UBI, explain to them what that actually means uh, and try and show them uh, in these high concentration areas because it's easier to educate people and there's a bunch of them uh, that maybe things are not the way they, they seem and maybe kind of start there. you think that's helpful or, or continue with the rural and continue to pick up numbers this way? Well, the cities are kind of a tough crowd, but not as much as people think. People in the right. cities are paying carbon tax. People in the cities are seeing their grocery bills skyrocket. They're finding it uh, difficult to buy a vehicle or a house now because inflation is unchecked. Mm -hmm. So reality is assisting us in educating people and providing the pain necessary to get some people off the couch. Now, the, the other side of that is there is a group of people who operate only on their feelings okay and now there i'm gonna let me first talk about people on our side who are operating like that there's people on our side who are saying things like and i see some in the comments about the civil war comment oh there's boots already in the ground we're ready to go they feel very very angry towards the government and society and what's happened to us in these last three years i have people who i well i still call them friends but they call me a government plant now who right. are willing to do that, that have never voted. They won't attend an AGM. They won't participate in democracy. They won't do a civic duty, but they're ready to put boots on the ground and go to the next step. Well, I don't agree with that at all. How can you abandon democracy or the democratic process when you haven't participated there? How can you abandon a system when you haven't even tried to use the system to accomplish the changes you want to accomplish? You had a guest on a little while ago by the name of David Parker. David mm -hmm. and I, uh, we butt heads on a lot of things. We're both stubborn kind of jerks sometimes. But I have a tremendous... My favorite type of people, by the way. My favorite type of people. Mine too. I have a tremendous amount mm -hmm. of respect to him because of one thing he said to me early on when I had abandoned all hope with it of changing things within the government. He said, no, this is just a math problem. You bring enough people, you show up with enough people, you win. That's all it is. You bring enough people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So until we actually try that or do that, 
um, how can we even consider resorting to uh, you know a violent alternative? I'm a I'm a peaceful guy. That doesn't mean I'm nonviolent. I mean, in the right conditions, I I could unleash violence like nobody would expect. But right. I don't want to do that. I want to do everything I can beforehand to prevent violence from occurring. And so and so we uh, we we have to go down that path first. Okay, look, and I I've said this before on the show. They have a monopoly on violence. I didn't vote that violence isn't an option. It should be taken off the table. And I actually think you need to keep that kind of pressure in all political systems. Uh, the government should understand there are limits. Play within it. Uh, and the people will uh, remind you of that. I'm not calling for violence. We're not inciting violence. But we understand its place. And uh, there is a place for it. Now, ideally, that's not the road we're down. But... Look, like you said, there's some angry people with boots on the ground already. Now, I think what you're targeting there, which is great, is the 30% who doesn't vote. And yeah, David's not wrong. If you get the numbers, you can make things change. I think they even said something like 50,000 people would be all it takes to change uh, the provincial government in Ontario. Um, so oh. maybe we should be looking at that here in, in uh, Alberta as well. Uh, where would you want to see some more support? Because we have UCP in power right now. It's a majority right now. So where would you like to see the support grow then? Well, we continue to to grow the support in rural and work on the cities as best we can uh, with the assistance of our educational coaches, which are, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Stephen Gabot and Christian Freeland and those who are helping us with our education campaign by bringing pain to Canadians. But there is another kind of maybe not so nice of a, of a way of looking at it. Those people who are governed by just their feelings. Uh, that's what I was talking about. They're governed by their feelings instead of facts. Uh, the ones on the other side, it doesn't matter how much evidence you present to them about uh, how an Alberta pension plan would benefit us tremendously. It doesn't matter how much evidence you present to them that if we want to be prosperous and flourish as a human species, we need to use more hydrocarbons, not less. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what the facts are. They will only go with their feelings and their feelings are so powerful that we won't overcome them with, uh, with facts. We simply have to do what we know is right, pursue the right path, and drag them kicking and screaming all the way until they observe the reality we're creating with good conservative policy, and they see that their life isn't in danger. They see that we're not selling the hospitals. We're not evicting uh, 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 seniors from their care homes. And then we allow their feelings, uh, their feelings of, uh, what do you call it, comfort with what they're seeing to bring them into the fold, so to speak. So the short answer to that is we don't need to win everybody over. We do what we can. Right. We get the people that we can and the rest. Well, and it is what it is. They're free to think what they want. Yeah, fair enough. And that is our side. We are willing to lose some support because you got free will. And uh, that is the independent mindset. Even if you don't like us, we still support you. Exactly. The other side is not like that. The other side want to destroy anybody that doesn't uh, work with them. Yeah, character assassination is a big thing. Cancel culture, if you don't agree with everything they say, you're toast. Like 15-minute cities, for instance, if Edmonton wants 50, to be a 15-minute city, have at her. I'll do my part by making sure that uh, we pass legislation forbidding any municipality from restricting anybody's movement based on the 15-minute city pattern, right? You want right, to have right. neighborhoods that you can go get groceries or whatever in 15 minutes, fine. But you may not ever restrict movement because it's a constitutional right. 
So there, there are other ways of, uh, of dealing with that. Great idea. I, I like that. And, oh, sorry. And uh, look, I do have to let you go now. I'd like to get back to it. You got some burgers to make. I have to come and check out one of these burgers. Why does everybody keep saying you have the best burgers in Alberta? I got to go find that they out. Are. And I'll pay for it. You don't have to count me at all. Oh, and yeah, you hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings. So I don't think we can talk again. Um, just kidding, my friend. Chris, do you have anything else you want to say to Canada before we let you go? And I also just want to kind of thank you. Thank you. Um, ever since you you got into the scene, uh, I didn't know who you were. I kind of learned who you were in the last six months or so. But I run into people all over this kind of, uh, province who are fully aware of the whistle stop, uh, fully aware of what you did. Uh, whether they support you or not, they're aware of it. So that's at least the first step of it. Educate to them uh, some more. So I wanted to thank you, and sorry that Adam's not here, but Adam as well for the exact same thing, because you could have easily just shut it down for a bit, maybe took uh, a couple more months off, maybe made it work uh, after, I'm not sure, maybe took some more money from the government to make it happen, I'm not sure. But you did what you believed was right. And that's rare, unfortunately. Um, so thank you for that sacrifice and thank you for coming onto the show and sharing that with everybody. I appreciate that a lot and say hi to, uh, Carrie for me as well. Uh, Donald, do you have any final comments there for Chris? Chris, thanks so much. You stood for all Canadians and you still are standing for all Canadians. Yes, you're acting locally, but you're standing for all of us. If we only had a hundred like you, a hundred more. Well, because we have two, Adam and uh, Chris, I don't think it would happen again. I think next time there will be a whole bunch of use. You'll be replicated all over the place uh, in Alberta, Chris, because of what you've done. Well, we're like spiders. You know, you see two of us. That means there's probably 2,000 that you don't see. So I'm I'm not unique in my desire to, to live free. Uh, I just got pushed into a corner where I, I was forced to make a decision to do so. Simple as your that. courage is contagious. Your yep. leadership and your courage are contagious. You, you and Adam, both of you, please. Thank you so much, and keep it up. Yeah, and and that's proven. And I'll bring that into a court. It's proven. You're contagious. <laughs> yeah, they actually proved, they actually uh, testified that I there was never a COVID case in the Wissasop Cafe, and nobody ever got sick that they knew of, which I thought was interesting. But you asked if I wanted to say anything to Canada. Yes, please. I do want to say something to Canada. Um. I, I love this country. I love what this country is supposed to be. What we've allowed it to become is just an empty shell of what it was meant to be. And, you know, there, there are some people out there who might say, oh, you know, Chris, you're a dirty separatist because you want Alberta to leave Canada. And I can understand why they'd say that. But the reality is I love this country and I love the people in it. And it doesn't matter what province you're in so much that I really believe somebody needs to stand up and stop this madness. Alberta is poised to do it. Alberta has the best chance at doing this. As a matter of fact, if we put a dome over Alberta and just isolate ourselves from the rest of the world, the only way we would suffer was that we wouldn't get a new iPhone every year, right? We have That's everything fine. we need. <laughs> we can be independent. We can do that. Um, the other side of that is I know that there's a lot of Canadians who feel just like me in other provinces. I met many of them when we went to Ottawa and traveled back that want to be free of what this insane federal government is doing uh, in trying to implement this globalist agenda. I care about them too. And I know that 
if Alberta stands up and is courageous, it will be contagious. I know that if Alberta leads the way and shows Canadians that there is a path to be prosperous and be free of what the federal government is doing to us, that they'll follow. I, I hope that it works out that we have this referendum. It's successful. We send a team to Ottawa, they negotiate, everything's fixed. The other provinces do the same thing. Our whole country is unified. But what we have right now is a broken, shattered country, and it's at the hands of a federal government that does not care uh, about keeping the country together. They care about just pursuing their own agendas. So uh, I, I hope that explains to people from other provinces uh, and, and kind of curbs their idea that Alberta wants to abandon them. On the contrary, we just want mm -hmm. to be the leaders that set the example for everybody else. I think Canada needs a new deal, a new provincial deal, something closer to what Quebec was trying to do. We all get the same deal. And I think and I think we absolutely can get that. 50% uh, of the population, seven provinces, we open that Constitution Convention again. There's some talk around that. But uh, Chris, I'm with you. Okay, I've joined APP. Uh, I've helped. If there's anything I can do to help uh, regionally, uh, provincially, or just as an organization, reach out. I'm happy to. And thank you, brother, for spending your time tonight. Appreciate it. My that. pleasure. Thanks for doing what you're doing. My pleasure, too. It, it takes a bunch of us to do this because how else are we going to get this out? So thanks, Chris, for your time. And say hi to Carrie and the family. And looking forward to seeing you again soon. Have a good one. Good night. And then, Donald, sorry, brother, I'm going to run. It was a long show, but thanks for coming on in the afternoon. You don't normally do that. I appreciate that. Uh, we didn't do our show this morning, uh, but guess. we will have one Great tomorrow guess. morning. Great guests. Very inspirational. Yeah, for regular viewers of the show, they hear about your Adam story all the time. You talk about the Adam Scully, uh, Adam barbecue situation all the time. So it was good for them to actually meet him. Um, do you have anything else you want to say to Canada before I let you run? Nope. Said it all. Just good night. Good night. We'll see you in the morning, my friend. Have a good Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. I've been looking forward to this one for quite some time. Chris has been in the circle for a while. I've met him a couple times down the left bridge. Um, he's awesome. He's awesome. So is Carrie. And next year, if you're around for the Bibles and Bowls, check it out. It was a fun time. But look, bigger than that takes one. It took one in Ontario. It took one in Alberta. There wasn't many else across country, like coast to coast. we got 40 million people here in this country right now, and one out of 20 million stood up. It's a math problem, like David Parker says. It's just a math problem. So let's actually focus on that. Uh, let's start joining. Okay. Start joining. Whether it's the APP, Alberta, Take Back Alberta, join the UCP itself, join, become a member, become active. Do highly consider that on the library board level, on school board level, we need really good people. If you understand through a bit of education that that's exactly how we got here, was one or two people joining a board, pushing their agenda, slowly coercing people, sometimes threatening them, they got what they needed. We can undo that. We can undo that. We'll replace them because they really don't have support. Once they get out and do what they do, they really don't have support. There's a lot of people who are just silent, silent majority, right? So I think Chris has got really good plans here. And I really enjoyed his response to the immigration question because he's not wrong. We do need people who do good work. We do need to fill in the jobs. We want good people. So I think there's a balance there that we can find. And are we going to separate? Is it going to be the end of Canada if Alberta separated? I don't think we're there yet. But it, don't be scared. 
Don't be afraid of that, because if that's what has to happen in order for Canadians to thrive, including a separated Alberta, then that's fine. But I don't think we're there yet. I think Chris has got the optimism to continue to fight with Alberta Prosperity Project. They're doing good work there, and I'm going to support him on that one. So, folks, welcome back. we got a couple more shows left, and then we're done for 2023. Join us tomorrow afternoon. We're going to be full of predictions and, and remembering 2023. But looking forward to 2024, or at least have an optimistic or pessimistic or realistic view. We're going to have one of them. But 2024 is going to be a very interesting year and set us up for 2025. Will we have an election in 2024? Will there be a civil war? Is Trump going to win? How will that affect Canada? Are you going to ship a bunch of Palestinians to Canada, mostly to Alberta? We're going to find out, folks. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. So thank you for joining the show, and I'll do my best to get the information to you, continue to bring guests on for you so that we can keep having these conversations. And all the people that are on Chris's channel, thanks for joining. I really appreciate that. Nice to meet you. If you don't mind, you can jump over to The Levine Show, give me a follow, and uh, you'll get more shows like this as well. Chris is a great follower as well because they do a lot of stuff with the APP there. Uh, but you also find uh, a lot of stuff from across Canada here, a lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, a lot of police officers, uh, quite the drive for the NCI report. You're going to see a lot of that in the next year, especially pushing for criminal charges. You can check out my my Substack. There it is right there, jasonlevinesubstack.com, where I have a three-part article about pressing for criminal charges and how do we get there, stemming from the NCI report. I believe 2024 is going to be the year of accountability. It's also going to be a very difficult one because they're going to fight back hard. Why? Because their job, their agenda is failing. Ours is not. And we're making headway. Which means maybe shows like this will be under attack. Chris and Carrie, Shadow Davis, even uh, Leighton Gray show, Gray Matter, all of them. And if you're not a fan of them and you haven't heard of them, go check it out. It's going to help you a lot to get a very good perspective of this country from many different places. Well, folks, I'm going to run. But thank you all very much. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We will be live. We have some special guests. Vlad is coming back, and he's bringing a guest with him, too. She's got an interesting story. Even Donald doesn't know, but she's got an interesting story. She's a bit of an insider that's coming out with some information to let you know how the government's actually functioning. And she's got some dirt on Sexy Lee. If you don't know who she is, she's the primary plaintiff for the lawsuit against Chris Barber, Tamara Litch, and the other members of the Freedom Movement for $400 million. So she's a primary uh, plaintiff on that one. And she also played a pivotal role in the POEC and in the Chris and Tamara trials as well. So Zexy Lee is somebody you should learn a little bit more about. And this guest tomorrow has got some more information on her. Where does she come from? Who does she work for? Why all of a sudden is she such a proponent of fighting against freedom? That kind of stuff. So hopefully you tune in tomorrow, 6 a.m. Uh, Mountain, 8 a.m. Eastern. And don't worry, if you don't make it live, you can replay it. So hope you enjoy that episode. Well, folks, you have yourself a great day. We'll see you in the morning. I love you all, and God bless.